Hey everyone, and welcome to episode 211 of the MCU Fan Show. My name is Sean Gerber. In a moment, I'll be joined by Paul Herman for our spoiler review of Black Widow. Directed by Kate Shortland, screenplay by Eric Pearson, with a story by Jack Schaefer and Ned Benson. Yes, it's finally here. Some 14 months after we originally figured we'd be doing a spoiler review for Black Widow, we finally get to talk about it in complete detail in this episode. So excited to start talking about this movie with Paul, but I'm not so excited that I would forget to let you know about the exclusive podcast that we have available over on patreon.com slash Sean Gerber. That's S-E-A-N-G-E-R-B-E-R, or just hit the link in our show notes. And that includes Patreon credit scenes, which are supplemental episodes to go along with these main podcasts. So before we said the Patreon credit scene for episode 211 would be about Black Widow box office. But as we're recording this, we don't actually have the final numbers yet on Black Widow's opening weekend. So we'll save that for the next Patreon credit scene. But also, we needed to change the subject of the Patreon credit scene for episode 211 because we got a brand new trailer for a Marvel Studios series, that series being the animated series What If, which is going to premiere on Disney Plus on August 11th. So we're going to be breaking down and sharing our thoughts on that trailer in the Patreon credit scene for this episode, which you can find over at patreon.com slash Sean Gerber. And then just make sure you're following us in all those places you can. We are at MCU Fan Show on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And if you're enjoying the show, we would greatly appreciate a rating and review from you over on Apple Podcasts. Thank you so very much to all of you who have taken the time to do so. And now, on with our show, let's talk about Black Widow. I feel like I just asked you this, but how's it going, Paul Herman? You did, but it's fine. Uh, No, things are going amazing, dude. Uh, We obviously... Most of us, if you're listening to this, I would say are a good portion. I should say most because a lot of people probably have watched it on Disney Plus. But a, a lot of us have also watched it at the theater. Black Widow, that is. And what what a, a grand return for me anyway. I, I know a lot of people, as this might be their first movie coming back to the theater post-pandemic or during the, the, the end days, hopefully, knock on wood, somewhere, of the pandemic. And it was a – I got to say, Sean, it was a grand return. As far as the experience, uh, you know, I again, I hadn't stepped foot into a theater since Birds of Prey. I saw, you know, in February of 2020, and it was really cool. My my cousin Jeff uh, was in on a business trip, and we were able to kind of meet up, and we went to see Black Widow together, and we went there, and and it was really great because like I got a free comic book. I'm like, this is great. There maybe Marvel's finally learning to keep giving this stuff out. You know, you never know. And then I got an awesome tin. I love tins. Oh my God. I mean, it was, it's it just great. And I also bought this, I, I bought like a, you know, those classic pretzels you can get, whatever. Mm-hmm. I bought a pretzel thinking it was one of those small ones and it was like 15 bucks. I didn't even look at the prices, but you know, I was paying for it. I went 50, man, prices really went up for, for movie theaters. They're feeling that pandemic pinch. And then it came back and it was like this huge, like giant pretzel. And it was like, what the? Like, this is like a dinner plate it's on. It's just a giant thing. I don't know. It was crazy. Anyway, it was so much fun. I We sat down. I, I ate tons of popcorn. I felt sick the next morning. I ate so much popcorn. Um, it, it was it was so... The experience was great. My theater even had replaced all of the carpeting and put in new chairs, which that really surprised me. Like, I was like, whoa, okay, they're, they're, going, they're going all in. AMC is going all in. So it was a, a really nice surprise and experience, and... 
it just reminded me that I just love the theater experience. I mean, no matter how rad it is to not have to go and deal with obnoxious people, which there was obnoxious people around, I'm not going to lie. But all that, all that said, you can't replicate the experience, the, the, the energy, the screen, the sound you can, you know, you can spend a lot of money on that stuff in your, in your homes, you know, home entertainment centers and things like that. But nothing, unless you actually own a theater itself, nothing will be able to replace that. And even then you need the people there to have the energy to, you know, generate from that screen. So it was awesome. It was just, it reminded me of why I go to the movies and why they probably won't ever die. Hopefully in my lifetime. And they'll, just need a little bit more time and theaters will come back stronger, hopefully maybe than ever, but great, great experience watching a uh, black widow. I don't think theaters are going any, well, some theaters are probably going yeah, away, no, but yeah, yeah, yeah. as we've talked about, I, I think theaters to some extent are here to stay, especially for movies like this. And based yeah. on the early returns for black widow, the early, we don't even have like the final estimates, let alone the actuals, but just because there is an at home option, it doesn't mean that people won't choose to go to the theater, especially for movies like this. So even if we start to see streaming take uh, get a larger foothold, a larger and larger foothold by the day. Well, we know that Shang-Chi and the Legend of Ten Rings is going to be exclusive in theaters for 45 days. But even if you have these day and date movies like Black Widow, the audience still wants to go see these movies in a theater as long as theaters are open and as long as people feel safe going and you're right about the part that you can't replicate, and it is the people that you're watching it with. And I know not all those people are my favorite, and not all of them are all of your favorites <laughs> as you're listening. There's always the yeah. question of who brought that baby. But oh yeah, outside of that, uh, you know, you're willing to put up with some of that because there's nothing like it. I went to opening my opening night was at El Capitan Theater in Hollywood. That's actually where I've seen the movie three times because I had a press screening there. The fan event screening that they did, the world premiere fan event uh, that they did, and uh, that was at that theater, and then so was my opening night one, because they also advertised it as a fan event. I was like, oh, maybe some Marvel people will show up. They didn't. They did some theater drop-ins on Friday night, not uh, on Thursday night. But anyway, um, as I've always said, the going to press screenings and even going to premieres, all of that is a ton of fun, and I'm very blessed to have had those types of opportunities in my journey covering these movies, uh, basically being a semi-professional fan. All of that is great, but nothing touches those opening night screenings with the crowd of Marvel fans that wanted to see the brand new movie just as soon as they possibly could. And that energy, I can buy a big TV, I can... Mm -hmm. I can get a great sound system. I can replicate a lot of that. I mean, I, I can't buy a TV as big as a movie theater screen. But even so, the biggest difference, the one thing that I just cannot get at home is that collective energy of everybody mm -hmm. being so excited to see the movie. And then hopefully having that excitement continue throughout the movie because they are enjoying it and happy to report that was the case with Black Widow on Thursday night. And it was great to return to the theater. And even though... Uh, Black Widow was also like the press screening and then the fan event. Those were my first times in a theater since also for me, Birds of Prey oh, wow. in February of 2020. Nice. I'm actually looking at the date of my receipt for Birds of Prey tickets. It was February 16th, 2020 was Dang. my last time in a theater until seeing Black Widow. So it was great to be back. And now I've been back three times, all three times for Black Widow. Uh, but it's amazing. And it felt like mm -hmm. as I 
shared on uh, you know on Twitter and on Instagram at MCU Fan Show that it felt like home. Like that's home for me is is being there with my fellow Marvel fans and us just having the best time watching a brand new chapter of the Marvel Cinematic Universe and. What an extraordinary chapter or individual film this was with Black mm. Widow. You already heard if you listened to the non-spoiler review, or though maybe you didn't because you were worried that uh, I would somehow spoil things for you in a non-spoiler review. I didn't. You can go back and check the tape. But I've already shared that I love this movie. I'm a huge fan of it. I'm looking forward to getting into the details of yes. why. But vaguely, I'll just say I think it's intense. It's visceral. It's deeply emotional and psychological. I think it's relevant, mm-hmm. and it's doing all of these things while being very sweet and very funny in in picking these spots uh, to have some of the humor that you would expect from a Marvel movie, but not not all in the same way. And the big one of the biggest compliments I can give is it looks and feels like an outstanding movie by Kate Shortland, our director for this film. Uh, really got to put her stamp on this, and it's a great send-off for Natasha Romanoff while also being an outstanding introduction for Yelena Belova, Alexei yeah. Shostakov, and Melina, and, well, even Taskmaster, which we'll get into. This is a spoiler review, so I can also say Antonia. Um, it is just, I, I thought this movie was doing a lot of things very well all at once. I was very, very impressed. Paul, what would you think? I really liked it. And I do have, I have some, not issues or just, I'm curious to kind of, when we dive deeper into things, um, we'll get into it probably a little bit, but I, overall, I really liked it. And this may sound weird, but I liked it more than I was expecting. I, I've always wanted a Black Widow movie. The one they were advertising in the theater or, you know, for the, with these, with these trailers we got before the movie, I wasn't, I didn't really know anything about the movie besides Taskmaster was in it, which was, was cool, but I didn't really know where they were going. And I, I always try to stay away from this stuff and try to be as spoiler free as possible. Cause I want to be surprised. And I really liked what we got. And I think the main reason why is the characters. And, and I know that sounds stupid, but I don't think the story was the strongest. And I think that's my main issue with the movie. It's just kind of, it's one of the weaker stories of the MCU as far as the villain and just kind of just, it just, it wasn't the, they didn't really do it for me as far as like getting me invested into like, that's the story itself, but everything else, like all the characters, red guardian, you know, Elena, uh, you know, the black widow herself, all that stuff was great. Everything else was so good. And the action scenes, specifically the fight choreography was incredible. And I was blown away how good it looked. Mm-hmm. And, and for me, I know we'll kind of break everything down, but just overall, I think that's what made me invest into the movie is, is the characters. The story wasn't what drove me and what it was like kind of, you know, is whatever. But for me, the characters were so interesting. And that's what I think to me, what drove the entire film was the chemistry of the characters and the characters themselves and, and the arcs that they go on and the emotional journeys they all go on. That to me was so interesting and so awesome and 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 honestly like and i think that's what i wasn't expecting as much sean was the emotional depth that the movie has right. it's not and it's not just black widow herself you know with uh natasha it's everybody and that was really surprising so i i i really liked it way more than i, than I thought it was and 
I, I, I've been blown away. I've saw some just, you know, random negative reviews before I even watched the movie. And I didn't get, not didn't read details, just seeing headlines. It's, oh, this and this and this, this, this. And I'm like, okay, whatever. And I'm just like, how, I mean, I'm not saying the movie was great. Like it was amazing, but it was I, I definitely a really well-crafted, like you said, movie. I mean, I don't know the director that well, but it was, it definitely was a certain style. And you can't say that it was a cookie, a cookie cutter Marvel film. Like I think I could definitely say about a couple of movies out there that I'm not super huge fans of. I love all Marvel films because they're Marvel, but you know, but at the same time, this movie is its own thing. It has its own feel. It's not, it's not a, again, trying to be a Thor dark world, if you will, or it's like trying to muster it in like this kind of lightheartedness and it doesn't know what it wants to be. It knew exactly what it wanted to be a gritty, spy thriller movie it, it, we can talk a little we'll talk about the end eventually but to me this movie is definitely one of the i think better films maybe it's i say middle tier and i don't mean that in a bad way because there's lots of great marvel films and i think it's right right around there and maybe after i watch it more i've only seen it once i'll like it even more and i wouldn't be surprised either if i liked it a lot more but everything mostly worked for me except for maybe the bad the bad guy at the end but we'll get into that. But yeah, I, for the most part, I think this movie is fantastic. I think the villain works well enough for what he's supposed to do in this movie, but this movie just isn't about him. And exactly. I think yeah. that's where the plot of the movie, I totally get what you're saying as far as the story plot of the film, but really all of that is a vehicle to get these characters right. into these moments and having these conversations with one another. And that's what works for me. And I still think the plot works. Like I think it serves its function. It works, yeah. And there's certainly a lot about it that is very relevant and very moving, and we'll get into that as we go through it. I will spoil this, spoil the review up front and just share, because as Paul mentioned, where it maybe is falling for him, I'm sticking with my policy. When I see these movies and they're brand new, I don't talk about or even decide for myself and even think too much about where they land within the grand scheme of things within the MCU, because... You all know how I feel about the MCU, or many of you do. Maybe this is your first time listening to the yeah, show. Maybe. Hi. Right, uh, but um, I have a very high opinion of these movies in general, and so they're varying degrees of good slash, or even better than good, great for me, or just like full-on phenomenal. So where Black Widow lies within that, I have not even really thought about that. Because I think in order to really do that effectively, in order to not be... A prisoner of the moment, you have to let these movies sit with you a while. Not just watch them a yeah. bunch of times, as I've already seen Black Widow four times, but it's Insanity. not just it's four times within the last like week and a half. That's not a lot of that's not a long stretch of time. You gotta sit with it, revisit it, and see how it holds up. And then we look at where it uh, where it lands across the the broader spectrum of the MCU. In this moment, this individual film, I was very impressed. And it opens with a prologue in Ohio 1995, also makes its way to Cuba. But when we're in Ohio 1995, it's the all-American family. We have young Natasha, played by Ever Anderson, young Elena, played by Violet McGraw. And I had to make sure I called out their names because they were both really great. Yeah. As everyone knows, you never know what you're going to get with child actors. But I thought these two really stepped up, especially Ever Anderson as young Natasha, I thought was just outstanding in this. So it's big sister looking out for little sister. Little sister falls down, skins her knee. Mom comes out to kiss boo-boos, but then also teach that lesson. Your pain only makes you stronger. Then it's family dinner, mac and cheese, ranch dressing for dad. Just 
very normal, uh, ridiculously normal. And then all of a sudden, this heartwarming family story turns into what we knew it would have to. Uh, it's a spy thriller. And that initial like sharing of looks between Rachel Weisz as Melina and uh, David Harbour as Alexi, I thought was so good of just everything that's not being said, but then understood. And it also shows that what it meant to them, like Rachel Weisz was trying to, or Melina is trying to say later in the movie, how it wasn't necessarily real or they need to rethink the calling it a family because it was a construct and all of that. But she even said it to Alexi that she didn't want to go. And he even says, don't say mm. that. Um, and it's not because like he didn't feel the same way. It's just because that's not the option. They don't have the option to stay. They have to go based on whatever it is that they're up to. And we talk about that later on as the movie goes on. But then we get this great action in the getaway. And I love just the style, this juxtaposition of singing along, you know, bye bye Miss American Pie. And then all of the, and like, and it seems very cheerful and happy, but really it's this twisted thing of this spy family getting away. But then when we get into the action on, uh, on the runway, all of that was very intense, which you'll hear me say over and over again about the action in this movie, which I thought was great. I liked, and, and also like just the, the economics of the storytelling and the efficiency of the storytelling, like Red Guardian is a super soldier. How are we going to show? Like he's going to take this big hunk of metal and he's going to flip it. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Really love the way that they set that up very, very quickly. And uh, the highlight, though, for me was the takeoff after Melina's been shot and Natasha has to take the controls and the way Melina is talking her through it. Because I think that scene is kind of a microcosm of, of the movie, and, and it tells you how much of a lie it is anytime someone denies that the family bond was real. Because the only way that works, that's not Melina the spy coaching Natasha the young spy. That mm. was a mom talking her daughter through this moment, and it only worked because it was a genuine bond. And I think that was something to really keep in mind uh, as Natasha denies repeatedly throughout the film that uh, that any of it was real. And the same goes for the way Natasha fiercely protects Yelena when they get to uh, Cuba as, we're, as we meet Dracoff for the first time, played by Ray Winstone. Um, and then, but even all these moments, like it's, it's weird to call this a family dynamic as we're in this spy thriller setting, but even the way Alexi handles Natasha pulling the gun and I mean, Natasha like just going off on everybody, like I will kill you all as she's pointing a gun yeah. at all these soldiers. Incredibly intense. Um, but also I think what you see from Alexi is that he definitely feels like he's on the wrong side of this because he's letting these girls be taken, but also, you know, he cares and, and really let's examine his choice. What happens if he stands up for the girls right there? They're all dead. Yeah. No, th this part was very interesting because I didn't know what to expect for the opening. And then when we, when we see these young girls, I went, okay, I'm assuming this person with blue hair is probably going to be Natasha which, by the way, Ever Anderson literally, literally looks just like her parents combined. Like you mush those two people together, that is definitely them. Like her. Excuse me. It's just, it's really weird whether I found out who she was. Um, but anyway, but the whole opening sequence is is, is I, I love how you explain how they use this the whole takeoff and the, and the prelude of the takeoff to explain and and show us this this family dynamic, and it's it's very well it's very well explained and shown and, and written and it did, it did its job. And I love the fact you point out that, that 
the mom, Melina, is, is telling Natasha how to fly the plane. And you're right. Like, I didn't even think about that, Sean. That's not just two people who barely know each other and her trying to explain. That's a bond. That is there. There's history there. There's trust there. Yep. Trust. And I love the, that's that's it, the key it, word that you hit right it, there. Ex- exactly. And and that's what I didn't even think about, because that's all obviously, you know, touched on much later. And I didn't even think about that. I love I'm seeing this is why it benefits when you watch me four times. I see it once. <laughs> but but no, but I love I love that scene. It, it was a little jar- not jarring, but it was just kind of like, OK, where is this going to go? It, I just was like, I just didn't really know how I didn't expect them to be so young for for whatever reason um, at that time. So it was a little su- surprising to me that they were that young. Like, oh, OK, that they're actually were together that then. So how what is their connection? Oh, oh, they're, they're a spy family. Well, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. And so when we get there and that scene where it's you know, at the end and they have to like, you know, they, they land on with the red room area or whatever. And she takes a gun out and protects, you know, protects her little sister. It was, I'm like, dang, like this is, this is rough. And, mm-hmm. you know, and when Red guardian comes over and he's like, you know, I'll, I've got this and he pretty much has to like calm her down and he does. Right. And then, then obviously like they you know, knock him out and then he, he, he has some regret, but it's like, okay, he's, he's done his job and, He's waiting. It's a, it was just a very interesting dynamic to see everything. And I was like, dang, okay, that's uh that's interesting. I wasn't, I wasn't expecting that again. I don't I avoid spoilers. I wasn't expecting this fake family dynamic, which set me up for, again, this the great journey we're about to go on. So I love how they explained everything and they gave a great visual demonstration of what we need to know about these people right. going forward and set up these characters. So uh, and the scene Winstone again, I didn't even know he was in the movie, Sean. So I was like, Ray Winstone, what the hell? I was <laughs> like, that's awesome. So maybe that's where some of my disappointment with the bad guy might be. Cause I love that actor. So, uh, but yeah, I was like, what? Yeah. So, like, he didn't cool. get to flex quite as much as Ray Winstone has been able to flex in other things. But at the same time, I think that's actually to his credits and as well as, you yeah. know, the screenplay and everything else that it, it wasn't his story. It wasn't about him, but the part he plays is key. And, and I think there are moments in his performance at the end that I really, really liked. And I, I think he oh, yeah. he struck just the right tone for that character. But yeah, this this whole sequence I thought was great. It was intense. It was jarring. I, I think it's supposed to be. I, I think you're supposed to kind of be left wondering just what exactly is going on here. But also the way the family dynamic is established. Like, yeah, you have Alexi and Melina as the parents here, but also Natasha as the older sibling who knows the deal. Meanwhile, Yelena is only six years old. She doesn't know that this is fake and she has no idea. Like, so when Alexi is saying it's time, remember I told you one day we're going to go on an adventure and Natasha mm, knows like, oh, uh, this sucks. But Yelena's like, yay. Um, the only thing that's a bummer is like she can't find her shoes and she's hungry, but thankfully there's fruit roll ups in the car. Um, sort of red line. Yeah. Well, I mean, look, I got really excited and wished I had fruit roll-ups in my car yeah. stashed in there for after I got All out the of the theater. I, no question. That's, that, that, that is a veteran move right there. I am. I am going to have to start doing that. But uh, another thing to keep in mind there is we get, uh, we see the family picture album that Melina tells Natasha to leave behind. Well, Melina ends up taking it uh, as we see later on. And the uh, photo booth pictures, which as uh, Natasha and Yelena are, are separated, Natasha hands off to Yelena, which is kind of the, the key that, uh, that ultimately brings it back together. But yeah, this opening flashback sequence I thought was outstanding. And I think it did such a great job setting the tone for this movie. 
And then we get the opening titles. And we don't always get opening titles in Marvel movies. Yeah. And, I mean, I know we got one with Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, Mr. Blue Sky with Baby Groot dancing and all that, which is still just amazing. I love that sequence so much. Uh, This one, tonally completely different. And it is set to a cover of Nirvana's Smells Like Teen Spirit, produced by Think Up Anger, featuring Malia J with the vocals. I liked it. It was, I mean, it's obviously I'm, I I wouldn't even begin to compare it to the original because that's not the point of a cover. Tonally, though, right. it's very haunting. And I think that's what I liked so much about it, of these opening titles, is it matched the tone of the visuals that you were seeing. And... You know, smells like Teen Spirit being a song about, you know, lost, disaffected youth. Well, like, that's what's happening to all these girls here. So, like, it right. it matches. Um, and so I was good. And as I said, totally, like, the sound just worked, uh, the sound of that cover just worked exactly with what we were seeing. And what we were seeing was horrifying. I mean, Natasha yeah. clutching Yelena as they throw open the doors to the crate and all these girls are being dragged out. And these girls are screaming, absolutely terrified, as of course they would be. And you know that this is a Marvel movie that's talking about super spy assassins and stuff like that. But the real world parallels of human trafficking are impossible to not think of. And, and I think the visual is trying to uh, invoke those types of thoughts that, you know, there is something that is relevant about this uh, about this experience and in, in women being robbed of choice. Uh, so. That I mean, and I know it, it didn't necessarily make the biggest, most emphatic points on the matter in this, but going into that issue while also, you know, working it within the context of this story with Natasha Romanoff, Yelena Belova, and all these other widows, um, and the way they showed it in this opening, I thought was very effective. But then just seeing Drakoff kind of being the man in the shadows watching over it, talking about removing all the defects which, as we know, as explained later, yeah, that could be removing defects as far as brainwashing, but also removing defects is just killing 19 out of 20 that they recruit for the Red Room. Uh, What I also noticed, though, is uh, as we were going through the opening titles, we've been going into this movie wondering who was Taskmaster, and the trailers kind of gave it away that it, it couldn't really be Melina, Yelena, or anybody else, so they were definitely playing with oh, it's O.T. Fagbenle, because he's playing this character named Mason who we're not going to tell you anything about. Um, well, Mason is just a fixer in this. When I saw the name Olga Kurilenko in the opening titles, I was like, oh, Taskmaster. Because uh, oh. for people who don't know, like Olga Kurilenko has been in, I think, Quantum of Solace was the Bond movie she was in. She did Oblivion with Tom Cruise. But she was almost Wonder Woman once upon a time. Uh, she was one of the finalists who's she was on that short list. She screen tested with Ben Affleck, didn't get the part. Of course, as everyone knows, the part went to Gal Gadot. But Olga Kurilenko is uh, a big enough deal that I didn't think that she was just going to be some random spy. When I saw her name, I'm like, OK, yeah, she's going to be Taskmaster. Um, but anyway, we're also seeing a lot of other interesting visuals in this, like the the family life, the fake, the staged holiday photos uh, for the family, the red room training, like these kids watching cartoons, firing guns. I mean, they're covering all of it. But then Drakov's influence, like you see him with President Bill Clinton. You see him with Vladimir Putin. That was hilarious. And you see widows everywhere uh, at these various, uh, inc- you know, tragedies, attacks and all these things that are going on. And I, I did think it was interesting, though, to show Drakov with like, 
real world leaders. Yeah. Because we actually haven't seen, I, I'm trying to remember, like the MCU proper hasn't really dealt with real world political leaders very much. Because, um, yeah. I mean, our pr- the president that we've had in a Marvel movie was Matthew Ellis in Iron Man 3. Uh, right. We didn't have, uh, you know, but it was actually the Netflix, it was the Netflix Marvel shows. Like Luke Cage actually talked about having a president, Barack Obama, um, uh, but I, I don't know what this means for the contemporary, like present day MCU, if they'll start having our actual real world leaders, although that kind of dates things in timeline. So I guess Bill Clinton is deep enough in the past and Vladimir Putin's been around long enough that, you know, yeah. it's an old photo. They don't have to commit to what time period everything is with, you know, current world leaders. Um, but at least it, it, the point being, though, it, it's really more about establishing the level of Dracov's influence, which it does well enough. I don't know if it really needed that and it almost contradicts his point of like working in the shadows <laughs> if you're like yeah. glad handing with presidents that's not exactly working in the shadows and having undetectable mm. influence but whatever the main point of the opening titles for me wasn't drake off it was the experience of these girls uh and you know just setting up the, the horror really of what they went through and being true to that i can appreciate what the uh credit scenes were trying to do I personally, that was my least favorite, favorite thing in the movie. The whole, not just a song, the whole thing, the way it was cut. I understand the, the what they were trying to do. It just felt way, it just felt very like, and maybe it's purposeful because it was in the 90s and they're covering a 90s song. It honestly felt like a 90s music video when I was watching. But my cousin and I were both like, what the hell is this? This is, I mean, I, again, I understand everything you say makes sense. And they have to try to establish things and get kind of people caught up with what the Red Room is and quickly and kind of really kind of get these visuals in their head to kind of understand later on what they're talking about, et cetera, et cetera. It just did not work for me. I thought it was terrible. Quite honestly, uh, the song itself, um, I can appreciate like the, the vocalist was, was fine. The, The actual, like how they, she was covering the song necessarily, like how she was singing. It wasn't the problem. My problem is kind of like the classic, like just one piano note, like ding, uh, <laughs> ding, a guy like so ready to like, just, just play it. Just, just, just do something different for God's sakes. Just have someone like strum a, just like a clean sounding guitar or something. do something different for God's sakes. God. But, but anyway, it was just weird. No, I'm, it I'm, is I'm the universal to... sound of this is sad. No. trust me there, there's other trust me i know I, no but I, i'm actually can, i'm not yeah. i'm not debating you i'm actually agreeing with you on that and that that i know <sighs> the way that's played i i i can't disagree with that and that there's in a vacuum all by itself i i like this cover but yeah that is kind of the tendency of of covering these songs is let's just go yeah. with the piano and let's just make it yeah, let's just go really yeah, really down and show how sad <laughs> this is i mean i don't know if anybody noticed uh smells like teen spirit was originally a sad song um, but well, it is, but it's an angry song. That's the whole, it's, that's it's the whole angry, thing, right? but it's also sad. I mean, it, it comes from, well, a, yeah. it, it comes from yeah. a place of hurt and so, it's a, it, yeah, but tonally yeah. it, that's not, that sound is not fitting with what they're showing here, but yeah, I'll just chalk this one up to agree to disagree. I love the opening title intro. Um, but getting into the next, uh, the first scene in like the present day setting of this, although there is no present day setting of this except for the mid credit yeah. scene. Because, or I'm sorry, post-credit scene, because this is all, as we know, between Civil War and Infinity War. So 21 years after Ohio 1995, uh, we catch up with Natasha. Ross is in pursuit after he's had a a triple bypass. So he's had a couple heart attacks at this point. Things not going well 
for Ross, which I think points to, uh, yeah, I don't know that Ross has that much of a future in the MCU, which is maybe why they're going the route of, uh, of Valentina. But uh, we catch up with Ross. He thinks he's about to catch Natasha, and he's talking about how they got Barton, they got Wilson, that other guy, the incredible shrinking convict. I loved that line. That is exactly how Ross would describe Scott Lang. Um, but Ross, as always, in over his head if he's trying to catch up with Natasha Romanoff because she is nowhere near there, um, which I don't have a whole lot to say about this scene. I think it works well enough for exactly the purpose it's trying to serve, but I would also highlight uh, one additional purpose. It's not just that Natasha can get away uh, in the general sense, but specifically, this movie just about ends with Natasha, you know, with Ross and a bunch of other guys in Humvees like barreling down on Natasha and then we cut to two weeks later and she's fine. This is how you establish that, that, yeah, it's not that hard for her to get away from Ross. Yeah, this was a little alarming because I thought he had more scenes. You know, I mean, wasn't there a scene that he had? He, it's like him, like, standing outside of where... Um, uh, the it, it seemed to be in the same area as, okay. uh, as where we were at the very end. So I right. think that it was probably maybe he and Natasha had a line of dialogue there and, or a couple lines of dialogue and, and then they just got away and then she eventually got away. Mm. I definitely think she escaped. I know we're jumping ahead a bit here. I definitely think she escaped because she's still disguising herself with like the blonde hair and, and everything that we right, see for right, infinity right. war. I, I think what they've done by cutting out whatever conversation that probably was is they've left it ambiguous as to how and when she escaped. Right. You yeah, know, yeah. like Which did she, is, yeah. did she get away immediately? Was she captured and then got away? Um, but either way, she got away somehow and, and is on the run. Right. But yeah, there, I, there was definitely more Ross material that didn't make the final film, but I don't think it's an entirely different scene. No, and that's a good point. And, and that was something that I thought, we would get a lot more of, especially with him in the very beginning. Right. And the fact that she's saying like, Ross, you're, you're on your triple bypass and everything. And so I was, I, I just thought there was like, I'm like, Oh man, they're going to start setting up Ross and what that's all going to mean. And now I'm like, well, maybe not. <laughs> so, but no, this was a, a really interesting, like you know, introduction and reminding us that he's on the, you know, he's hunting these people. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of, again, preluding to what, or, when you go after this to infinity war, um, it kind of makes a, a little more sense of what, why he's talking to everybody and he's getting all pissed off. He's, he's hunting these people, you mm-hmm. know? And so that was good to kind of remind us in that. I think he's more of a continuity, uh, like reminder more than anything, I, I think. So it was kind of a bummer, but yeah, it was, it was a, a cool little intro for, for Natasha to see where she's at at this point. Yeah, definitely. And just, you know, establishes her credentials, reestablishes, I should say, her credentials of like being the spy who's always several steps ahead of everyone else. Got to say, I mean, overall, though, uh, Ross, not his best showing because you know that Natasha got away from like twice and especially the last one where he must have had her dead to rights and just and there's Mm -hmm. no there's no implication otherwise that it was like anything else with Ross, like, oh, Natasha cut a deal. No, I don't I don't think so. We can talk more about that when we get to it. Um, but anyway, we cut to Morocco. This is where we see grown-up Yelena for the very first time, and she's leading a team of widows who are after what we learn is one of their former members. And they do a really good job very quickly just with the action of establishing Yelena's skill set. I mean, the fight, but then the brutality of it, like the stab with the knife, which was like the Arya Stark move that took out, well, I don't want to spoil Game of Thrones if you're still watching, but uh, <laughs> even though the finale is a couple years old, very uh, Arya Stark with that uh, knife move, but then not just like stabbing, but then twisting. 
uh, was really, really rough. And um, but then we we see like they establish in the scene kind of the, the stakes for Yelena because her target, who is a character named Oksana, uh, hits her with the mind control antidote, the chemical subjugation counter agent. And Yelena has to just wake up to the horror of what she's done. And then she immediately becomes a target herself, as one of the other widows calls out, converge on team leader. And Elena gets away with a case of vials, which cuts to Dracoff and the initiation of the Taskmaster protocol. Uh, so we get our first look at Taskmaster watching overhead satellite footage of Hawkeye versus Black Widow at the airport in Captain America Civil War, which sets up the fight pattern that Taskmaster uses against Red Guardian later in the film. And mm-hmm. we see like there's a drive in her neck. Information gets plugged into it. Or I say her because we know it's uh, <laughs> we know it's Antonia. Um, and there, there's like a, a specific, one of the widows is like a specific handler for Taskmaster, which, uh, tells her to smile, which pays off later when that handler goes after, you know, takes care of Antonia at the end of this movie. But I thought as far as the Taskmaster part of this goes, it's just a quick intimidating introduction that I think works, uh, where you're wondering exactly what the deal is with this person, but it's also really got to give a shout out to, um, the design of Taskmaster, like seeing this costume in full view designed by Andy Park, who led the Marvel Studios visual development team on this director of visual development, Andy Park, who is on this podcast. You can go back and listen, was on this podcast, talked a little bit about this Taskmaster uh, costume. But I, I love this design. Uh, the costumes by Yanni Tamimi uh, was a costume designer on this, also did a, a terrific job. Um, but yeah, I like the Taskmaster intro. And the other part of this, though, with the Yelena intro, I thought was very, very good at, at getting a lot of things across very, very quickly as far as what the state, what the status was of Yelena this whole time with the chemical subjugation, showing the skill set that she's obviously as skilled as we'll see and pretty evenly matched with Natasha Romanoff. Uh, but then just that immediate regret of, of what she had done, not that it was uh, her choice at all. All right. So the last negative thing, it's not even negative, it's semi, just not my favorite thing. And then the rest of it will be mostly positive, I promise. Is this is where the plot for me gets a little it just it does it's not bad and I don't think it's horrible. It's just it's just kind of like, okay, whatever. The whole like uh, you know, this formula that makes them like snap out of it and that whole like it's I don't know. It, it it's fine. It worked. I went with it. It's just not my favorite plot point. It's just kind of the again, kind of goes along with that kind of weak my in my opinion the weakness of the only weakness i think of this movie is just the major the major plot points and this would be one of them that being said and again like i still love this movie but that being said i yelena's yelena yelena whatever you want to say her name you know me not great at pronouncing people's names um this was a great introduction and i i'm, I'm semi-familiar with florence Pugh. um my wife love she's in midsummer right um, yep. Midsummer, fighting with my family, yeah. little women, yeah. uh, fighting with my she, family was the first thing I saw her in. And I was just right. completely blown away. I was like, and, and I saw that movie, I want to say within like a month of when she was cast in, um, mm. in black widow. And at the time we didn't know, but the immediate guess was that she would, and it was correct. The immediate speculation was she'll be Elena Belova. That ended up right. being true. Um, but yeah, after seeing fighting with my family and then seeing her in little women, which she got an Oscar nomination for, like, it was clear that like, oh, like Marvel cut really caught somebody on the way up, which I think it turns out like it, especially with like what we see in Yelena in this movie and also Mm -hmm. building toward the future, 
that this mm-hmm. is not an example of Marvel catching an actor too early and putting them in too small of a role, um, yeah. which I think there have been some instances of. I mean, I think Idris yeah. Elba as Heimdall, um, yeah. although because it was Idris Elba, they beefed up that role and, be- and Heimdall became a more significant figure in the MCU. So it worked out. Um, Daniel Kaluuya as Wakabi in Black Panther, great in that role in Black Panther, but they were catch- like that was really before or when they cast him, that mm-hmm. was before Get Out like completely took off. And of course, like his star power rose. So, I mean, today they wouldn't cast Daniel Kaluuya in that role. That would be somebody else. And Daniel Kaluuya would be in a, a, a bigger spot. But for Florence Pugh, like it works out because obviously Yelena is going to be a, a pretty major player. Right. And and that's the thing. She immediately takes control of the screen. And I, and my wife loved Midsummer, and I, I she'd watched it a number of times. And I always not, that's not a movie for me. It's just that's too artsy and whatever. Um, but she loved that movie and talk about she liked that actress and everything. And so kind of going into it and knew she had some cred. And I was blown away right away. I was like, wow, OK, this this she's awesome. Like she's right, right out the bat is fantastic and commands the screen. Um, I loved her right off the bat. And then now as far as Taskmaster, Taskmaster goes, we all know I'm the, I'm the costume guy. I got to have accurate costumes. I've got to have, they had to look good. And obviously the set leaks that came out when they were filming this movie, it did not look good. It was not, they were not flattering to the character whatsoever. And I even said then, listen, I'm not stoked on this right now, but I'm going to wait. I want to see, because we all know they, they update these these things in, in CGI. Well, it's the, not you know, just that, but the, the set photos were originally pretty far away, so you could not see the details the on detail, the mask right, that had right, more right. of the, the skull sort of outline. Right, and and that's the thing. And, and, and all that being said, I knew I wanted to wait. And um, I know Andy Parker's been on the show. I've not talked to him yet, but I have, I was, overly impressed the more i saw the costume now after seeing it in action in the trailers as well but mostly in action i am 100 percent signed off on this costume it's it is so perfect for the screen i loved it it is a great representation and i think translation or translation excuse me from the comic book to the screen adapted all the right things you know granted it's not like a classic loki kind of thing where you're taking a literal thing and putting it um, into the you know film but it's a great adaptation of that costume. And I think it represents the character as far as what they look like perfectly. And I love the shield. Everything was perfect. I loved it. And I couldn't be, I can't wait to see, I need to get a a figure. I need to get like a 12 inch figure or something. I I do love the design. It's a perfect design for a more realistic version of taskmaster. It's almost like the dark Knight version of taskmaster, Sean, if you will. Um, that's what it felt like to me. And I really loved what we got. So yeah, Andy park definitely. And I'm not just saying that I really am 100% behind this design. It is. He knocked it out of the park for sure. Yeah, It looks great. I mean, that first close up of the helmet slash mask, just that detail was outstanding. Skull, like I think, I think that's the most impressive thing about it is, I mean, everything else looks great. It's the detail of the skull and that it's not overtly a skull, but it's like, it is, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's, it's there so, without being, being like too, so too on the pronounced. Yeah. yeah. Well, exactly. But I think that was what they had to do because you already have like red skull as a literal, like skull shaped head guy. And, and it wasn't like we, saw him in first Avenger and then never saw him again. We just saw him. Well, not just because right. it's been like 18 years since a Marvel movie came out, but like we saw him <laughs> in infinity war and Endgame, 
And then you have Crossbones, who's got a skull painted on his tactical helmet in Captain America Civil War. So there had to be some sort of balance of honoring what was there, as well as who this character would be and the more tactical needs of this character. But then also, yes, the design of the comic books and honoring that. And I think that Andy Park and Yanni Tamimi is also the costume designer on the film. Uh, that collaboration, and and of course, you know, everybody else is weighing in on this. You have producers like Kevin Feige and Brad Winterbaum. You have, uh, you know, director, obviously, Kate Shortland. Like, everybody's weighing in on this, but uh, the collaboration resulted in, I think, the the perfect balance for this character. And really, I can just say the, the design is just cool as hell. Um, yeah, it is. So the next thing that we get uh, is back to Natasha in Norway, Somehow, Norway has become one of the most important places in the entire Marvel Cinematic Universe because it's a beautiful country homes. It is. I'm not. I'm. I'm not saying it doesn't deserve to be. I'm not questioning that. <laughs> you knew that it would factor in in the Thor films because you know Norse mythology being what it is. Yes. But you know, uh, Johann Schmidt visits Norway in Captain America: The First Avenger. That's where True. he gets the Tesseract. And then, of course, we, you know, Norway becomes the home of New Asgard, which is very Thor related. So I guess, you know, that fits. Uh, But if you're wondering why New Asgard wasn't there, it's because remember, this is before Infinity War and before Endgame. So, yeah, there is no New Asgard yet. Um, But uh, here we are again in in Norway for uh, for this sequence. And Natasha is hiding out in a trailer provided by the sleeping fixer Mason, O.T. Fagbenle. Uh, who has given Natasha what she needs to generate several aliases, one of which being Fanny Longbottom. Just remember that. It will come back in the movie. Uh, Mason asks if she's okay because the Avengers are getting divorced. And Natasha lies and just says that she's uh, better off on her own anyway. And uh, Mason's not really buying it and saying, I, but she says, I don't pay you to worry. Um, but this back and forth is important. And, and Mason, like, we don't really know this guy. We're only just meeting this guy, like, crashing in the uh, in the trailer. But, like, there's obviously some previous, uh, you know, re- established friendship relationship between these two characters. And he's not buying it, and neither are we when she's talking about being okay. You know, but he's mm-hmm. not going to push. But really, this is how Natasha copes. She denies her feelings for others, and, and she denies that to herself as much as she possibly can, because accepting how she feels about people means acknowledging the hurt that comes with it. And Natasha is definitely hurting after Captain America Civil War. I mean, we saw how desperately she was trying to keep the family together in that film. And then, of course, we saw the way she reacted to, you know, how Tony was calling her a double agent and everything when we last saw her make her exit in Captain America Civil War. So all of that was, uh, you know, I, I think a perfect reflection of how Natasha is feeling and also how she's been dealing with her problems and her relationships and her connections to others. This is what she's been doing up until this point, which is important for this movie because when we we talked about what this movie would mean for Natasha Romanoff and the opportunities that it would present her as a character, Natasha was different from Civil War to Infinity War. And that's because, and she wasn't, as plagued by her guilt. And she was uh, much more ready and willing to embrace how much she cared about people in Infinity War and Endgame compared to movies like Winter Soldier or Age of Ultron or Civil War, which means, I mean, she was making progress in that respect in those movies, but there was a leap in between Civil War and Infinity War. And we see where she makes that leap in this story, which is why 
we're bringing this stuff this stuff up for Natasha and how she deals with things emotionally. So I thought they did a very good job of that. And they really kind of started off with this conversation with Mason. And then, of course, it continues from there. Um, and the other uh, key reveal here is that it's very clear if you bought into the marketing mystery around Mason, uh, pretty clear when you watch this, he's not Taskmaster. Yeah, I I didn't. I figured Taskmaster was going to be some kind of like deeper reveal. I I told I totally forgot about the kind of people talking about this before because I again avoid the stuff. I never thought for a second he was Taskmaster. Never yeah. for a second. Um, just just the build, and that guy is like you know he's a, he's kind of a stockier guy. You know he's he's a kind of a taller dude. Whereas you know not really slender. He's not you know he's. he's it's going to be stocky. Whereas Taskmaster is very thin and agile and quick. Like, you know, it's like, it's, they're not, there's just no way it would make sense. Um, just off that from my just eyeballs. So, but yeah, I never got that impression. I thought Taskmaster was going to have some connection to Natasha. I just, which we'll get to eventually, but yeah, I didn't, there's no way I thought that was Mason. Mason was fine. I, I thought Mason was a fine character. It, it, it means again, means to an end. Kind of yeah. establishing, you know, Natasha and all that—that that she still got her connections and and everything. Well, I do find it interesting in retrospect now. I didn't, I didn't really think much about this whole stuff. Really, it's kind of, again means to an end. Okay, it's got the story rolling, but it does it does kind of reflect on her on the run and how she's kind of just she's trying to be the loner. That what she kind of depends on when she is. That's her first kind of like uh, defense, if you will, is like mm-hmm. kind of run away and, and do my own thing. Whereas obviously that all kind of goes awry and then, but it's interesting that she wasn't the first thing she did was try to like figure out how she's going to break out, you know, her friends. It was just like, I need to like, you know, figure stuff out and do my thing, which we eventually get, you know, more of a, she's more confident and kind of takes charge of her life kind of more at the end because of the previous family she had. So I think this is a good kind of like kind of uh, an idea that we're, She's where she's at one time in the film, but her, there is a progression of, I think, an emotional progression throughout the film that we see that makes sense to why she's with Cap, um, you know, at the end, even though we assume that and it all makes sense at that point um, for Infinity War. But it's good to see this from an emotional, this emotional uh, change, I think, if, again, for me, the way I interpreted it um, at with this film and why she's there and why she's kind of defected and not just a one-time thing from civil war, but actually no, she's moving on and, and doing that. So I thought it was cool. Yeah, no, I, I thought it was great. And Mason, I think is a fun character. I, I don't think he's, yeah, like, he's fine. I don't think he's like some hidden gem to the point where it's like, Oh yeah, he's going to be a like superstar in the MCU, but, uh, could be it, something. which yeah. sounds like a knock on OT fag Bentley. He did a great job in performing yeah, what fine. he had to on this yeah. one, but and I liked that character, so it's really more of the compliment of saying, I would actually like to see Mason show up in things. I mean, if he's a fixer, he can work with anybody in the Marvel Cinematic yeah. Universe, theoretically. So he could pop up in anything. Um, I mean, maybe he's also working for Don't Call Me Val. Uh, that is definitely possible. So I would be interested to see if that character pops up again in some other projects, and I kind of hope that he does. Um, so anyway... Uh, Mason takes off. Natasha is by herself in the trailer watching the James Bond film Moonraker. And then the generator craps out. Time to go out of town for uh, time to go into town for some fuel. And then as she's making her way, a rocket blasts Natasha's car, setting up a battle on the bridge. And Taskmaster approaches and Natasha assumes that this is from Ross uh, saying that pretty sure Ross doesn't have jurisdiction here. I don't think Ross cares about jurisdiction, but Ross has nothing to do with Taskmaster. And Black Widow says, you should know I'm a better shot when I'm pissed off. 
And now it's time for the fight. And I loved this fight on the bridge. This Ooh. was so freaking cool. I mean, Taskmaster matching some of the moves from Natasha, like matching the Hurricane Rana that uh, for my pro wrestling fans that Natasha oh. does like all the time, but was doing a whole bunch in Iron Man 2. So maybe Taskmaster reviewed the security footage from Hammer Industries in, in Queens. Uh, they do the simultaneous kip up and like looking at each other. Uh, where Natasha realizes that Taskmaster isn't there for her because the case of vials that Yelena got in Morocco, she had sent uh, with uh, with Mason because Yelena is staying in the flat. Remember, Mason refers to someone staying in the flat that Natasha used to stay in, in Budapest or Budapest. Anyway, that case is what Taskmaster is after. And now, because Taskmaster wants it, then it certainly means that Natasha should probably stop Taskmaster from getting it. But... The action in this was so good. I mean, they did such yeah. an amazing job of selling the impact of each move. And then there was that shot where Natasha snares Taskmaster. So Taskmaster goes up and then cuts the cable and then swings and they pull the camera back and you get that big swinging shot of Taskmaster. That was just outstanding. Like I loved that so much. And then all the way through, like the kick off of the bridge and Natasha, mm. you know, left the case, took the vials. Um, but that was just that action sequence for, I mean, what a great, we had a little intro to Taskmaster earlier in the movie, but this scene is like the true action debut of Taskmaster. And of course, Natasha Romanoff being step for step with Taskmaster. This was just such a great action sequence, such a great fight. This was um, we had a great kind of like kind of tone setter, I thought, for the entire film, Sean, as far as kind of what to expect. Because we got again at this point, I've got some you know solid stuff from the very beginning, and then we had the you know the, I really liked what we got the introduction with the Yolana and or I want to call her Black Widow. That's essentially what she is. That's what she is in the comics. Okay, I'm sorry. Like I always default to that. Um, so all that was great. This was the actual tone setter of what made me go, okay, wait a minute, this is pretty freaking rad. This whole thing, I love the the wide shot of like the bomb, whatever the missile hits her car. That was mm -hmm. rad. Um, the whole thing about basically Taskmaster outmatches Black Widow. Like that's the thing about, I think, all the, all the characters, honestly, to be, I mean, she does, it takes what the whole red room going down to, to knock her down basically, or take her out. Um, so what's amazing is that it's evident, like there's no way she's pound for pound, not going to take on the ta Taskmaster. It's, she's just not. And it's evident like she has to basically out, you know, outsmart her to like get out. And I loved everything just felt it, it right in this fight scene. Everything felt really, I don't want to say hard or real, but I could almost feel the oh, fight. Yeah. And that's what I think was really surprising because I think a lot of times in these superhero fights, especially in films or especially in films in these films, like Captain America, like civil war, they try to do a more realistic kind of like in your face action. And it's usually pretty good, but it's usually a lot more, you know, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Just, just kind of, uh, it's Hollywood eyes. It, it looks, it looks very, it just feels not too real. smooth. It, exactly. It is like, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, yes. I mean, I think the Russos were kind of the ones that, Really, I mean, with Captain America, the Winter Soldier, which I know is a film that a, a, a lot of people compare Black Widow to as kind of the closest right. example within the MCU. I understand the comparison because it is the closest thing in the MCU as far as a, a movie we already have that compares to Black Widow. 
But even so, I would say this is more intense, more visceral oh, yeah. than than even Captain America, the Winter Soldier or Captain America Civil War. I mean, I think the Russos always did a pretty good job of keeping the action visceral. Sure. And and even when they and I was worried about how they would do it when it got more cosmic with Infinity War and Endgame. I think they always did a, a terrific job of that. So this isn't a knock on them at all. Absolutely. Right, this right, just right. goes into, I think they're just taking it another level. And also, absolutely credit to the director of photography, uh, Gabriel Berstein, on this one, because the way they would pull the camera back, you know, between the DP and, and Kate Shortland as the director, because I think what you could fairly say for even Russo Brothers movies is there's a lot of stuff, and, and just Marvel and modern action movies in general, is a lot of close-ups and quick cutting to cover up a lot of things. Um, to you know, so that way you don't have to chain together the action choreography on set in camera quite as much. Uh, you know, and you can you can play with a, a lot of different things. And I'm not saying they've done it poorly in the MCU. They've done a great job, but the way they pull the camera back in this one just allows the action to be heightened in certain moments. Like you know, of course, the big you know swinging shot with Taskmaster, but even in the hand-to-hand combat. It just felt like they pulled back a, a little bit more and didn't rely quite as much on on the quick cutting. It even slowed things down for some key moments, like you know the the flip right. off of the the opening flip off of the car with yeah. uh, Natasha firing the gun into uh, the shield. All of that uh, I thought was really well done in uh, in this action sequence. And then as Natasha swims away, she sees the the strip from the photo booth, and that tells Natasha where she's going to go next, which is Budapest. And Natasha is going back to her old flat, knowing she expects to find Yelena there. And of course she does. Like Natasha has a gun hidden away in there. Um, I mean, she's super spy. Of course she would. Um, and then Natasha and Yelena meet as grownups with Yelena asking, is that what we are? We get a stare down with, uh, of course, they have their guns drawn, pointed at each other. And um, I, what I really, there's a little moment that like doesn't, necessarily have to mean that much but i think it kind of does like as they're doing this stare down and natasha is backing yelena up into the kitchen yelena does kind of trip up a little bit and natasha just says that watch your step it's not just the trip though it's the performance by florence Pugh because natasha is Mm -hmm. definitely the more composed of the two in this moment and it's not that Yelena is, it's not, to me, it's not about Yelena being scared of Natasha. I think it's more about just how bad Yelena wants it. Like, just how bad and how intense this moment is for her, because there's so many feelings. We know that she has, we know that she has anger toward Natasha for Natasha never coming back for her. Like, Natasha got out of the Red Room, and as far as Yelena knows, never went back and, and looked for her, never tried to make any contact there is like the love of seeing her big sister again. So like there's these conflicting emotions right. that are all uh, mer- that are all converging inside Elena's head. But then also, I-, I think there is a competitive streak and, you know, because yeah. siblings, right? It's sibling rivalry. Mm-hmm. So this is a chance to prove herself. Like last time we saw each other, you were uh, much bigger than I was. And-, and I didn't even know we were super spies back then. Like I had nothing. Um, and now here's a chance to kind of go, you know, to take out some of that aggression, that resentment that she feels toward Natasha. Um, she doesn't actually want to kill Natasha despite the knife pull. Um, but yeah, the, the raw emotion that uh, you see from Yelena in this, I thought was really great. And then uh, the fight scene itself. Uh, I originally saw this fight scene almost two years ago. They played this uh, pretty much in its entirety at San Diego Comic-Con in 2019. 
Um, but some highlights of this, like when uh, Natasha wrestles Yelena onto the counter, the plate smash of Yelena onto Natasha's head, the knife pull just slamming each other around, choking each other out with the curtains before they they call the truce. So we talk about, you know, the visceral nature of the action as we uh, discuss the battle on the bridge. This was even more so like this was just like down and dirty fighting uh, between these two. And it's I mean, it, it plays into just how raw this fight is just plays into, you know, the the emotional stakes for these two characters and, and how they're feeling toward each other right now. Yeah, this was something that I it, I was sold on immediately. Uh, so. I, I, I again Taskmaster fight. I was like, okay, it got my attention. This was awesome. This whole this whole sequence made me buy into the movie completely, Sean. Mm-hmm. So I was already invested from like a like action like superhero standpoint of like my comic book geekdom of, of seeing Taskmaster on the screen. A Taskmaster. We'll get into that later. And I was like, okay, I'm in. I'm in. I'm in. I'm in. And then when this scene happened and you have the interplay between Natasha and Yelena. I was blown away how good it was. And not just, I think the, the acting and, and the, and the energy they had between them, those fight scenes that, that was to me, my, 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 maybe my favorite fight scene in the whole movie. I was blown away. Cause I talked about how you could really feel that taskmaster fight. Well, this amped it up. This oh, yeah. brought it up another notch. And I'm like, Holy crap. Like this is, this is, it was shot. So so it was real and so up close. You could feel every time they were hitting the ground, you know, hitting the wall. It was great. I thought it was it was well acted. It was, it was well choreographed. It was well shot. It was firing on all cylinders. And I think it's by far the best fight scene in the entire movie. It, or it's the best, in my opinion, because of the emotional stakes that are, are going right. on. Because you have two people who don't really know each other but do know each other. And there is, like you said, there's that sibling rivalry. It was it's beautiful. It was a beautiful fight scene. I think it, that to me is what made me buy into this movie. I'm like, okay, I'm in. This is awesome. These are two world class actors duking it out, going crazy, and it's a great scene. And I care about what's going on. I care about these two characters because of the first, you know, act of the movie. You know, so I I was really impressed with the choreography throughout the whole movie. But this is where I was like, okay, this is going to be great, and I was right. And so. I love, love it. This might be my favorite part of the movie. And again, I haven't seen it once, but that's the thing I always think about. Whenever, whenever I see Black Widow, when I'm scrolling through Twitter or I hear it or whatever, I immediately think of that fight scene. It's the first thing I think of. I love it. Yeah, I love it. I think it is the best fight scene in the movie. I think it's one of the better fight scenes. I mean, and there's a difference, I think, between like fights and battles where battles are bigger involving more characters, like just as a pure fight. This is one of the best ones in the entire MCU. I think... As I said, you know, I, I got to avoid ranking things, uh, even though I just did there. But as far as where it lands and fight scenes in the MCU, I think over time this one will will hold up and, and it will be at or very near the, the top of the list. And this is uh, you mentioned like this is kind of what sold you on the movie as you were watching it. This was big for me when I saw it a couple years mm. ago at San Diego Comic-Con. Like, I think if you if anybody was listening to the podcast and remembers my reaction to having seen uh, this this fight scene, I was already excited about Black Widow because it's the MCU and I love Natasha Romanoff and I was very excited for her to get her own movie. But this sequence really was showed me that like this was going to be a very different movie and it was definitely going to have its own style with its own level of intensity. 
Uh, and that came from seeing this uh, this sequence. And so to now actually watch it in the context of the entire film was uh, was just such a treat. And it's it's outstanding. So, um, of course, they've uh, they've each or as Natasha says, you've grown up, gets a no shit from Yelena. Um, and then I like how Yelena is asking about what uh, what gun makes those holes in the wall. Those are arrows. It's like, oh, right. Oh, okay. Um, and then uh, I, the whole back and forth about like what what's in the vials of like it's you know a counteragent to chemical subjugation in English, and then so Elena says in Russian that it's an antidote for to mind control. Um, but as they're having this back and forth, we get a, a really great shot of Elena observing the bruises on Natasha's back from the Taskmaster fight. Uh, those bruises were not fresh; those did not just happen. That's not from the fight that Elena and Natasha just had. Um, but even seeing that, like even seeing uh, Elena, that sh- just shows like, yes, there was the anger that kind of got let out in that fight. But Elena really cares about Natasha, despite what we just saw. And it's it's a very different dynamic, obviously, because we're talking about two characters who have a pre-established relationship as siblings. Um, but it did remind me of like that moment on at the kiln in Guardians of the Galaxy where Peter Quill is looking at all the little machinery and like everything on Rocket's back, um, you know, observing that pain. But again, it's 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 a different level of care because we were talking about, you know, Yelena seeing this, seeing these bruises on her big sister, Natasha. Uh, so Yelena, she didn't figure when she sent the vials to Natasha that this would result in. Natasha bringing everything back to Budapest. Instead, Yelena thought that this would result in Captain America bringing down the Red Room, but as we know, Civil War. Uh, and Natasha thought that the Red Room was history because she killed Drakov with Barton as her last step in defecting to S.H.I.E.L.D. Uh, she imploded a building and shot it out with Hungarian Special Forces and had to hide out for 10 days before she could escape. This was Budapest. You know, you and I remember Budapest very differently. This is the story behind that. And I'm glad we didn't actually see it. I'm I'm happy yeah. enough to have it just like this. I, I don't like I, I, I would rather let the legend be the legend in and, and just and with this one. We didn't see it. We just got a little more context uh, for it. And so that was, I think, the right touch. I know a lot of people mm-hmm. were like, oh, we should see Barton in this and see Budapest. No, we shouldn't. Like we hear his voice in this, but that's it. Um, but the kill of Drakov was not confirmed. And Elena says, you're forgetting Drakov's daughter. And mm. this was the tell for me. I was already like Olga Kurilenko, Drakov's daughter. And the main reason I, I, I think I never would have even, it never would have even occurred to me that Drakov's daughter, I knew that Ray Winstone was Drakov in this movie, but the idea of Taskmaster being Drakov's daughter Never really occurred to me because if you go back to the Avengers, which is the first time we heard Drakov's daughter, Loki says that and he says Drakov's daughter when he's talking about the red and Natasha's ledger, uh, you know, Drakov's daughter, Sao Paulo, the hospital fire. I thought he the when he said Drakov's daughter that he was calling Natasha Drakov's daughter. I did, too. I always thought that was a nickname um, like that. He was that. Uh, that Natasha was like the favored student of the Red Room, and that's why she was Drakov, you know, the prized pupil, and that's what made her Drakov's daughter. I didn't yeah. know that it was the beginning, rather than being like a nickname that then transitioned to the list of sins, that Drakov's daughter was the beginning of the list of sins. I would love to know, uh, I you know, ask Kevin Feige or whoever, 
I don't know that was Dracoff's daughter always intended to be. It, it definitely wasn't a thing that I, I think like they didn't have Loki say that because like, oh, in several years, we're going to make a Black Widow movie and Dracoff's yeah. daughter is going to be Taskmaster. Yeah. They didn't know that. But I wonder if the original context of that was always supposed to be Dracoff's daughter being someone Natasha had killed or if they decided, you know, the scene itself doesn't actually give a specific context. Mm-hmm. So maybe they people thought that we were referring to Natasha and maybe originally we were. But it's not definitive in the way that the line is said, so we can change it. I don't know if it was... I'd be interested to know where exactly that came from, but whatever. Doesn't matter. Uh, Dracoff's daughter is is Taskmaster. And we could talk about that choice uh, a little bit more when we get to the actual reveal in the scene. Mm -hmm, But this this part for me was where it cemented it. Like, okay, Olga Kurilenko is in this movie. We haven't seen her yet. Now we've mentioned that Dracoff's daughter is a person. And she died in a in a building explosion where Dracoff already survived, meaning the daughter also survived and she's Taskmaster. So at this point, the mystery was solved for me. Yeah, for me. OK, first of all, the whole Dracoff's daughter thing, I'm 100 percent with you, man. I thought he was explaining like Loki was saying that she was or she's considered or she's tied to him in some way. And that's what he's implying. Like, I know like you're the name Dracoff is you're attached to it means you're evil essentially, or something along yeah. those lines. We're all, same, same thing. Right. What I love with it, cause I don't think, I, th- I think like you, I don't think this was an intentional, this was a retcon or whatever. Right. This, what I love about this is it feels very, very much like the comics where they take something and go, mm-hmm. well, we could do this and twist this and try this and make it, you know, yeah. whatever. It's a very co- old school comic book move of taking something, yeah. tw- make, twisting it a little bit differently and working with it and making it your own. And yeah. I love, I love it. I yeah. love this. whole. Regardless. Idea. Yeah. Regardless of how we meant it, we didn't technically commit to it. So, right. Although in comics, even when they technically commit to it, they're like, yeah, they're getting very creative with how they can fix things, too. Yeah. So now I I would love for someone to I don't know if anybody did. We'll see if spoiler interviews come out, you know, this week. I'd be very interested to see if anybody asked uh, Kevin Feige or anybody else. Maybe in the uh, commentary or on the on the on the uh, Blu-ray. Maybe. Well, if Feige even does the commentary, I mean, if it's Kate Shortland, I don't think she would know what the intention was on the Avengers. She wasn't part of it. But um, but yeah, I, I love where, you know, I. I think it, it takes something from the MCU, you know, from this line, and it, and it creates an entire story behind it that is so much more interesting than what we initially imagined. And maybe some people did think of Dracoff's daughter as, as a victim of Natasha Romanoff and not a nickname uh, when Loki read off that list. I always just thought of it as, uh, you know, a, a nickname. Um, but anyway, as all this is going on, before they can actually talk about Dracoff's daughter, um, the widows drop in. And so we have uh, a chase that starts and, you know, Natasha and Yelena have to escape and the chase begins on foot. And I really loved like that chimney or smokestack or whatever that was that they pushed off of. And they fell like all of that, I thought, looked great uh, with the widow that was in pursuit of them who fell. My it's so weird to say that this is my my biggest gripe of the movie, but it, it kind of is because this was the one thing where I was like, ah, that, that that's a choice I don't love is, you know, Yelena crashes through the window. Natasha falls and, like, hits a bunch of things on the way down, kind of like Steve at, like, that center or Cap at the Center Mm -hmm. for Infectious Disease in the Civil War, except the difference Mm -hmm. is Cap fell all the way down. Natasha landing on her feet just bugged me. It just, 
it didn't look like Black Widow. It was like, I was just like, okay, now she's a cat. I mean, it really plays to me like a scene out of a cheesy Catwoman movie. It, it didn't play mm. in, in a movie that tries to be, and I know there's huge, fantastical like action set pieces in this movie. I'm not trying to tell you that Black Widow is realistic, but a lot of the other action treated itself as being pseudo realistic uh sort of and i i just felt like that little that visual didn't play for me that visual didn't fit the tone of the action within the rest of the movie or or even that final shot of her like landing on her feet didn't uh it didn't fit the tone of the shots before it of her just hitting all these things on the way down i would have just made a different choice and she falls down and she gets up uh, but anyway she sees uh the the fallen widow Drakoff with his tablet of doom uh, forces that widow to kill herself. Uh, but then the overhead shots of that, like seeing the busted leg of this widow with like the knee turned inside out, uh, that's a bit more graphic than we normally mm-hmm. get in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. But I, I think this was a darker, more intense uh, approach to the storytelling in, in the MCU and, and trying to be uh, a little more, I don't know if honest is the right word, but really trying to really trying to sell the idea that, that this is, you know, that, these are various sources of pain, and, and this obviously being a very physical one with this widow, that what's happening here is uh, is brutal, and now Natasha sees exactly what Yelena was talking about after watching this woman who says, I don't want to do this, uh, being forced to take her own life. Right. Now, I, and there are a couple moments of, of this movie that I think a lot of people will complain about, and I think have some validity. I, I Like you said, like it's to me... I, I don't I didn't really have a, a love or hate this. It's just it was fine. It's it's a yeah. it was a fun little moment. Like I'm with you. It wasn't like I mean when that's my yeah, biggest it, gripe of the movie. It means I don't have a lot of complaints about the movie. It, it, yeah, you're nit, you're you're going with nitpicks at this point. Yep. And and again, like I'm with you. I it wasn't my favorite. There's a there's a number of over the top scenes in this movie that I know people I've seen people complain about, and it's whatever. I'll get into the major one eventually, but this was kind of like a key moment of like, okay, it's, it's going to be a little over the top in, in some ways. I mean, again, a trade off is I've got, I've, I get great fight scenes. If I'm going to have some over the top scenes like this, yeah. then that's, I can, I can deal. I mean, and I'm sure there are people screaming at me listening to this being like, well, if that was too unrealistic for you, what about, and then naming, yeah. you know, five <laughs> other examples. That was the one uh, that just, I couldn't buy the other ones I yeah. bought for whatever reason we have, you know, different ways of responding to these things. This was the one where I was like, eh, don't love that. Anyway, the foot chase becomes a vehicle chase. And I love that Natasha has already stolen the keys from Yelena uh, to the bike, which is what they were running for. Uh, And I just love the way Taskmaster's armored vehicle just comes crashing in. And then the way it's chasing them down the alleyway and just barreling through stuff. Like, it's just this absolute battering Mm -hmm. ram. I just that was so cool in in that action sequence with uh, with Taskmaster. Uh, the bike crashes. Yelena steals a car. I love Natasha saying you can't just steal a guy's car. Uh, and then uh, Yelena's response: You want me to chase him down and unsteal it? And I, I just even Natasha calling out the stealing of the car felt like uh, I don't know that it really was, but it did kind of feel like a callback to the whole feed off the dash scene in Captain America: The Winter Soldier. When she was like, I didn't know Captain America stole cars. And he's like, we're borrowing it. So like mm. Natasha in that movie doesn't care at all about stealing cars. But Natasha now uh, with these relationships with she's had with the Avengers, like 
she has maybe different feelings about it. Now, they need to steal the car and get the hell out of there. So it's not really this like disastrous of a moral choice. But the fact that Natasha even flags that at all as an issue, I think is an amusing sign of her character growth. Yeah, no, totally. I I, I think for me, the, the, the interplay between these two characters is one of the... Uh, the things I was most surprised about, I I didn't think they'd have this much of a chemistry, but the, the chemistry between the, these two characters specifically have really drove to me home the movie. And I think if you don't have the chemistry these two actors have, the movie just kind of is isn't it's not nearly as good, and maybe suffers from it. But oh, totally because because they are they there is a chemistry, and they have that between the, these two people these two characters, it's. Man, like every I love every scene they're in together. Like they they are just they're so good. It just they, the the camera just can't contain the no. greatness that's on there. It can't. Yeah. It's so good. Yeah, it's it's overwhelming just how good the two of them are together in, in this and and just everything about this. I mean, when you consider like just this is the first time we've seen them together in a movie. Like they have a history that we haven't seen. You know, it's not like mm-hmm. we've been watching this interplay through films and like building relationships over time, like we did with a lot of the Avengers and their interactions with each other. This is round one for us, and yet we're buying it like it's round twelve. Like we've been around this whole time. Uh, you know, they they really sell this relationship, and and it, of course, the relationship doesn't have that much history, at least not in adulthood, because they were together and, and sisters for three years. But of course, that bond has endured since then. And, and yeah, the back and forth was just, it, it was abs- it was outstanding every time, uh, including this, like, you know, what's your plan? My plan was to drive away. Like, that's a shit plan. Um, and the whole thing of like, uh, you know, she, the, the whole turnaround thing and like kicking the door off so it hits, so the door pries off and takes out a bike. That was a really cool action bit. Um, and I also like the, the recurring thing here in this action scene from more of a, a character standpoint and big sister, little sister, is Yelena is annoyed that Natasha steals the keys, but she doesn't really resist it. And even though Yelena is the one who steals the car, Natasha drives. Uh, By the way, this car chase is is brought to you by BMW, the ultimate driving machine. But uh, we have this, like, they never actually, or Yelena never really objects to Natasha driving, which to me is the little sister kind of, giving that control to the big sister, like, you know, deferring to the big sister of like, yeah, like you, you get to drive. Not that like, you know, younger siblings can't drive when their older siblings are in the car. They most certainly can. Uh, But just Yelena deferring to Natasha shows that even though there is some of that resentment and some of that animosity, all of that is really just hurt. And that's pain that comes from the love that she has for her big sister. Um, And she really doesn't mind her big sister being in control and and being uh, behind the wheel even if Natasha's going to have to step up occasionally, or Yelena's going to have to step up occasionally to help with with uh, Natasha's shit plan. Um, and also, um, first time for that we, I don't know if we've mentioned it so far, but the score of this movie, I really liked, but I think one of the moments where it shines is uh, Lauren Balfi, who did the score for this, uh, when that Russian chorus kicks in, when like Taskmaster is around and chasing them in the armored vehicle, all of that, I, I thought just... It just sold kind of the the epic, unstoppable nature of uh, I mean, the whole unstoppable force thing uh, around Taskmaster. And then also I like Taskmaster going all Hawkeye and skipping the arrow underneath the car. That was really cool, as is the car crashing down into the subway. Um, and then Taskmaster showing that uh, she can throw a curveball with the shield. That was really freaking cool. 
and maybe that's the moment another moment where people would say would shout at me for saying well this is unrealistic like the way that car tumbled <laughs> there's no way they could crawl out of there i don't know i've seen people crawl out of like ridiculous car accidents so it does happen so that's part of why i guess it, i didn't bump up against that the way i did natasha landing on her feet but i love the car chase i thought that was great um and then taskmaster's uh, shield skills were beyond impressive yeah, definitely. It's, I think we got more shield throws in this than I think in uh, First Avenger. Um, <laughs> yeah. So man, that's a deep I mean, cut. The only thing that tops this is probably Falcon and Winter Soldier with the training montage. Yeah, probably. Yeah, maybe. Um, no, this is great. Taskmaster, again, I loved I loved this Taskmaster. I'm going to say it right now. I, I, did, I loved it. And we'll talk more about that later. But I loved all the armored car, the arrows. Again, I love the callbacks to the fact that, he, that they're using... Um, these these different things from the Avengers, like Hawkeye's uh, arrows. We have Captain America's shield, you know, the way that uh, Black Widow and Black Panther and everyone fights. Like Taskmaster finds out and, and just like the comic books and emulates and can now do all those same things. And I love that. I love that there's this, ver- this version is still very accurate to at least the what the powers are of that character. Mm-hmm. And it was really cool to see it in action. And I, I just kind of cool seeing that those things used against Natasha. Yeah. And then just like the little layers to the action and, and the chase, like as they're getting out of the car, Elena is bleeding and wants to stop the bleeding. And Natasha says, no, like, don't do that yet. Because they're going to use that to trick Taskmaster as far as where they went. Uh, thinks they went down below, but no, they went up top. And it was a good trick by Natasha, but I also love Yelena saying, I love the part where I almost bled to death. Um, and that hiding spot, by the way, Natasha knew was there because that's where she and Clint uh, spent two days. Uh, where Yelena saying that must have been fun. And we see how much fun they had playing tic-tac-toe and hangman, uh, which is still on the vents there. So Yelena explains Taskmaster to an extent as far as being, you know, a perfect mimic, as uh, Drakoff mentions later on. Um, but then we get the full story about Drakoff's daughter, that she was in the building and we see the flashback. It, it wasn't that she was Natasha refers to her at refers to Antonia Taskmaster as collateral damage, but it's not like it was an accident. Natasha saw her through the window saw that Drakoff's daughter was there, but took the opportunity knowing that that was the only way to be sure that Drakoff was also in the building. Barton didn't know that uh, Drakoff's daughter, he was on radio just asking if they were clear. Natasha gave the go-ahead and the bomb was triggered. And Natasha just says to Yelena that she says, I need it out. And the cut to you know Florence Pugh as, as Yelena there, like we see like Yelena gets that. Like they all need out. All of these widows need a way out because they've all been compromised and they've all been forced to compromise themselves. And that's kind of what we get into with these characters and the way that choice has been removed from them. It's it's put them in these positions where they are making these desperate moves. And in this case for Natasha obviously feels a, a tremendous amount of guilt for, uh, for what she did at the same time, like in that moment felt it was her only way to have a life. It was her only way to have a path forward um, made a choice that she, you know, regretted as she was making it. But yet this is the, these are the situations that Drakoff has forced these women, yeah. uh, these women in. And one more note about like Drakoff's daughter and and knowing that, like, I know there might be the question of uh, Loki, like how would he know that story? He would know because Barton was there and Barton told him everything. Oh. Remember Loki said from the Avengers, Barton told me everything. Well, there you go. So that's how Loki knew he didn't, wasn't magical. 
Um, even though he, Loki is very capable of magic, especially if it's classic Loki. Um, but uh, I think another thing worth calling out here, though, is that if you if you track this from battle on the bridge to the fight between Yelena and Natasha to the foot chase between like Natasha, Yelena and the widows and then the car chase between Natasha, Yelena, the widows and also Taskmaster, that's stringing together a lot of action sequences all in a row and what impressed me, one of the things that impressed me most about this movie is the way they found these quiet little corners in between each of these scenes to have these types of conversations. So, you know, after the battle with Taskmaster, we get the initial meeting between Yelena and Natasha. Then they fight it out and we get another we get a small conversation between the two of them. And then there's uh, where we're revealing a lot of the stakes, a lot of the emotion for these characters. And then we go into the foot chase. But then they stop on the foot chase when that other widow is forced to take her own life. And they're talking about it again. And then we get the, the car chase. And then it results in this scene where we're revealing these truths about these characters. And they're getting a chance to really express how they feel and, and process all of these feelings. So that's one of the the things, as I said, it's it's so impressive in this movie to string together all these action sequences, but because they put in these little scenes that have such tremendous emotional depth, it doesn't, because if you do all that action together in a row, all by itself, you will get visually exhausted at that yes. as a viewer. You will start to tune out because you're, you're only going to be able to process so much, but they keep it going by putting just these little emotional spacing scenes like right in between these action sequences that I think is very, very effective. Yeah, no, I, I'm with you 100. percent I I think that the, the the flow of this is so important, and yeah, I yeah, I'm, I'm with you. You can't you have to break it up a, with yeah with the stuff. I 100 percent agree. Yeah, and a lot of times when movies do these uh, these scenes to try and break it up, they don't work very well. But these ones really do, and some of that, of course, is uh, it's the writing, it's the direction, but then yes, also these performances by Florence Pugh and uh, and Scarlett Johansson. And uh, so now it's Yelena and Natasha on the run. No one knows where the Red Room is, but for a few. And Yelena kind of explains why if Drakoff is still alive and Natasha supposedly killed his daughter, why didn't Drakoff go after her for revenge? Well, at that point, the Black Widow was an Avenger. And if it's in the name that if Drakoff goes after Black Widow, then one of the big ones will show up to uh, one of the big ones will show up to avenge her. And I just love Natasha getting a little bit offended and questioning this notion of the big ones amongst the Avengers. And Yelena has the perfect explanation for that. Well, I, I doubt the God from space has to take an ibuprofen after a fight. That was so mm. funny. I, I love yes. that. Um, and Yelena also wants to know why Natasha never reached out. And it leads to Natasha saying, you weren't really my sister. And the camera just holds on Yelena, like having to deal with like this absolutely devastating thing that Natasha just said. But Yelena mm -hmm. doesn't say anything yet. Like she just absorbs this in the moment. And you know it hurts, but she doesn't call it out. She will later on. And uh, what Yelena does call Natasha out for, however, in this scene is posing like why do you always do that thing with like the doing the neck and like whatever like that was that whole bit and every time i've seen the theater the audience just erupts with laughter it's so funny and yelena calling natasha out for the posing is marvel <laughs> effectively calling themselves out but yep 
Just because they've called themselves out, though, as we see in this movie, it doesn't mean they're going to stop. They're not going to completely stop having heroes make hero poses. Because, look, it still looks cool, even if our heroes are, as Elena uh, suggests, total posers. Posing still looks cool. But for Natasha, I think it works um, because, I mean, it's certainly been called out as far as how often she's been posing, although they all do. So it's not just her. But I would say the time where they definitely overdid it was in Iron Man 2 in that Hammer Industry sequence where she poses like three times or at least twice within like seconds of each other in that action sequence. But anyway, uh, Marvel calling themselves out for maybe overdoing it. uh, So maybe we'll see a a reduction in hero poses later on. But uh, that sort of irreverent approach to uh, their past and also their their present and future, I liked. Right. No, I'm with you. I... That was a really good moment. I kind of thought that was interesting that they were kind of poking fun at themselves a little bit. So, yeah, I they shouldn't stop. It's the superhero oh. movies, man. Come on. Oh, well, look, these characters are posed in panels in comic books and you're recreating some of that. So, like, it's uh, yes, don't stop. Just, you know, be exactly pick your spots, maybe, and, and be a little more selective than they've been in certain moments in certain films. But for the most part, yeah, keep it going. And, and even Yelena mm-hmm. discussed herself with a pose later on in the movie. Um, and I don't think it's going to end up being her last one. So uh, Natasha talks about doing some good while she was doing all that posing. And Yelena makes the point that, uh, you know, their past and, and the fact that they are both trained killers, it doesn't change. And Yelena says that she's not someone that they're both trained killers, but Yelena is not someone uh, not on magazine covers and not someone that girls are calling their hero. And it's a very cynical point of view from Yelena. But Natasha should understand that because Natasha has also been very cynical within the MCU and, and her kind of recognizing the good that she's doing and the value of being seen as an Avenger and what that means for people. That's not something that Natasha immediately embraced. She's kind of farther along on her journey with this and reconciling her past than Yelena is. And let's keep in mind that Yelena only just broke free of her chemical subjugation in this story. Uh, So uh, we see this, I think, speaks to the impact that being part of the Avengers has had on Natasha. And it also points to why Yelena maybe would have gotten involved with Don't Call Me Val. Maybe Yelena has been doing what she could say is, uh, what she could maybe argue and reconcile within herself is some sort of good by working with Valentina, but not in a way that's visible, not in a way that would cause people to look up to her because perhaps Yelena doesn't believe that she deserves that, that she should be looked up to in that way. Uh, But I, I really liked that comment from Yelena, because I think it represents Natasha's journey, but also what Yelena has been up to uh, during this film, but also in the time between the main story of this yeah. film and what we see in the post credit scene. And then uh, Yelena explains where the counteragent came from and that what Natasha experienced was psychological conditioning. This is now chemical subjugation where you are fully conscious, uh, but you don't know which part is you. Um, and as we get the very graphic example later on of a pig that stops breathing, like you are literally forced to do and, and not do things under the effects of uh, the chemical subjugation from Drakoff. And Drakoff is taking more girls every day. One in 20 make it through the training. The rest are killed. So this is just how evil Drakoff is. Um, and it's weapons that all these girls are just weapons he can throw away because there are always more and certainly the, the parallels between this and trafficking continue to uh, to come up. And, you know, and, and as you look at more of a real world relevance of what some of this story is, uh, at least in part, representing. 
And when Natasha and Yelena talk about parents, Natasha suggests that she never really looked for her mom or cared about knowing her mom. She did, and Natasha will come clean about that in a little bit in this movie. Uh, Yelena made up her own story, and Natasha's as well. You know, her sister, the science teacher with the husband who renovates houses, and uh, Natasha saying that's not her story. But when Yelena asks, and Natasha says, I never let myself be alone long enough to think about it. Well, Natasha spent a lot of time alone, but I guess just hasn't really thought about what she wanted her story to be. Um, mm -hmm. Reminded me of Steve Rogers not knowing what would make him happy in Captain America, the, the Winter mm -hmm. Soldier. Um, you know, these characters who go through these experiences where they have such a singular focus in life that uh, they don't really consider what's fulfilling outside of it. Although I, I think Natasha has probably thought more about it than she lets on. Yeah. And Yelena asks about wanting kids. Um, Natasha doesn't really get a chance to answer. Yelena just wants a dog, and she will get one uh, at the end of this movie in the post credit scene. Uh, Yelena says now she can go anywhere, but Natasha has a proposition to go take down the Red Room, kill Drakoff, so that means they have to find it. Um, and that means they're going to have to, they're going to need a car. Well, they're going to steal another BMW because they both spotted that the mechanic who was right by where they were having their beers stash the keys in the top drawer of the green cabinet. Um, while they're uh, driving in the BMW, we see uh, we get a conversation about Yelena's vest, which is the same vest that Natasha wears in Avengers Infinity War. And we actually do get the handoff of that vest in this film. And <laughs> Florence Pugh has been so great throughout this entire movie, but she shines oh, in this the scene. So good. The, I mean, look, she's the emotional depth that she's able to show within her characters is mm -hmm. just i mean i, I don't know there's i don't know there, there's nobody who does it better maybe some actors out there working who are doing it as well as florence Pugh, but nobody's doing it better and she's showing that in this movie but when she like but also she is just so funny and a tremendous amount of fun and so when she's talking about the pockets like it's got a lot of pockets i use them all the time you know, like, I, like, it's just even at the end of it, like when knowing that Natasha liked it, like I knew you did. You can put so much stuff in there. You wouldn't even know just like the the playfulness of that is so, so good. good. And and for a yeah. character who's, you know, committed, you know, not that she wanted to, but committed all of these acts, you know, killing so many, having killed so many people, being the greatest child assassin the world's ever known, as Alexi will say later on, you know, there's a lot of red in that ledger, but there is because she, you know, there's a part of her that wasn't even present in all of that, uh, at least not the one making the choices. You know, there's there's still some innocence to her in that and just how much joy she finds in it. But also for a more not quite as funny, just a more genuinely emotional reason for what it represents. Like she actually gets to share that in the scene. It's the first piece mm -hmm. of clothing she ever bought for herself. This is like the first choice she ever got to make entirely for herself is I think this vest looks cool. And I love the idea of having this many pockets and I'm going to get that for myself. Uh, is, is so well done in this. Very Rob Liefeld. I think he'd be very happy with uh, with that uh, whole conversation. That that was a that was very charming, and it made me fall in love with the character Elena. So even more than I was already. So it was great. I love the love that scene. Yeah, so good. Uh, and it's time to go break out Alexi. So what's Alexi been up to since Ohio 1995? He's been in prison. And uh, before we get to that prison, though, we catch up with Mason one more time. Yelena and uh, Natasha, they need a jet. He could only best he could do was a chopper. Uh, but poor Mason is uh, sensitive. I love that. Like he had a stash from Natasha from like five years ago and there was food in there. And 
Uh, Yelena takes a bite. It's dry. Um, it was awesome. Uh, the white suits are also there, because why not? Um, so basically, the main point here is, you know, Mason couldn't come up with a jet, but thankfully he will later. Anyway, Natasha and Yelena are on their way. We catch up with Alexi in the prison where he's having arm wrestling matches and trading old war stories about having fought and escaped Captain America in 1983-84 when Cap was still frozen. (laughs) I I know there are a lot of theories on this of, like, did Red Guardian really fight Captain America, and how would that be possible? Is it because Steve went back in time in Avengers Endgame? I mean, technically, based on the way time travel rules were explained in Endgame, that actually shouldn't be possible. So unless this version, unless we are in a different timeline where Black Widow is taking place and not the prime MCU timeline. So I would say no. Um, I've seen the theory of Isaiah Bradley, but Isaiah Bradley was in prison for 30 years um, and he was never like in a suit as Captain America. He was a super soldier, but never really defined as Captain America. So I, I think the implication here is that Alexi is just full of crap. Uh, which yes. everybody seems to know. And like, I love how when he says Captain America, everybody says it like in chorus with him. Like they've heard the story a million times and they're absolutely sick of it. Cause this guy's been in this prison since 95. So over the past 21 years, um, David Harbor though, Ugh. oh man, he is wildly entertaining in this. Like when he does the, my, I mean, I know like when he snaps the wrist of the big guy, yeah, that's gross and funny, but it's the one it's the little guy who he like pretends is beating him and like the oh no and then just slams it down uh oh, he thought he was gonna beat me like that was so uh that was hilarious I, I was dying at that uh david harbour just crushing it you know crushing wrists and laughs in in this scene yes i was blown away how much i like david harbour as red guardian i thought on the surface of the trailers that it was going to be too on the nose as a comic relief, which is what he is, but he's so entertaining. I was, I was honestly really, really surprised how much I loved his character and how much every that every time he talked, I just was dying laughing. And he, there, he just, he just left off the screen, man. Like he just, I wanted more. I, I I think we'll get more obviously, but Oh yeah. I, he, he is just, that was phenomenal. He was, he took that character and made it his own. And I just, Oh my God, I was again, I, I can't believe how much, cause it felt so on the nose. Like, Oh, I get what it, what exactly this character is, what David Harbour trying to do, but it's so good. I can't, I can't deny it. It's, it's great. I well, love, he's one of my favorite characters of the movie. And we got none of that in the prologue where it was all very serious for him, like yes. the getaway. And then of course, what was happening with Natasha and Yelena, like he never really got a chance to show this. So like he did a great job with the dramatic performance in, in that opening. And then here he gets to, you know, turn on the, the charisma and more of the charm and the humor. And he's just right there for it. I mean, Look, he's hilarious in Stranger Things. Like, I'm I'm not surprised that that David Harbour is so entertaining sure. and funny. He always has been, um, but really great in uh, really great in this. So there's a mail call for Alexi. He gets a Red Guardian action figure, which, according to every prison movie and show I've ever seen, he would never be handed that. Um, but oh well. Uh, so I, I love the the little trumpet music, like right, be, you know, like he says it, and then the action figure does it. The da 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 da. Oh and then my god! You get the Red Guardian lines. The head. Uh, pops off and there's an earpiece in there. The escape is on um, and Alexi gets to show more of his super soldier skills, but it's been 21 years. He's not well practiced at this point. He is a bit rusty. Um, Natasha has to drop in and help. 
Um, and Natasha, of course, poses. But the big, I mean, and Yelena's reaction is, of course, hilarious. It's terrific. But also another, we talked about the, the shot of Taskmaster earlier on the bridge fight. Well, here's another shot where you, you just go wide angle and Natasha swinging down and kind of flipping and, and kicking everybody and getting into this pose uh, was a, another great action shot in this. Yeah, the action, this is, again, this is more of the same in, in a good way where the action is is a tad over the top. This is where we're getting that kind of over the topness of like, it's kind of like a Bond movie, but mm-hmm. almost on steroids, if you will, because it's so like because of the superhero aspect. Yeah, it's not like based on like real people. I mean, though Black Widows are 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 not super enhanced, but like with David Harbor and all that stuff, it just adds this extra like you know, level a little bit, even from for a James Bond film and like with the Avalanche. I mean, it's it's over over the top, but it now all. Fits. It never felt out of its element, and maybe because it's based on comic book characters, and we have, and they're all in the same universe with like space aliens and Norse mythology gods, and et cetera, et cetera, that I'm able to accept it. But this stuff, it just was a very fun like, scene to have Alexi in there, and and I love the white suits. White suits were great. Oh yeah, and um, they're they're awesome. So yeah, it was it was a, this was a, another great scene, and again, really really entertaining. I lo- I loved it. This is great. Yeah, and there were some really fun pieces in there, like you know, Elena getting pissed off because the tower guard is like shooting at the helicopter, and then just like enough's enough, fires mm-hmm. the rocket <laughs> yeah. and blows the thing up. <laughs> but then the avalanche starts, and like her reaction, oh. like this would be a cool way to die, is yeah, <laughs> amazing. And uh, a, you know, oh, but then it's time to like pick up Natasha. So more big shots of Natasha like holding onto and swinging on that cable, and then catching uh, Alexi, and then that shot as you know. Yelena's flying away with the helicopter with Natasha and, and Alexi in tow and that avalanche behind them was so cool. But you know, they did such a great job throughout this movie of having this really intense up close action, but then also pulling back to provide uh, a sense of scale to really fill up the big screen, which is part of what made it so great to go back to a theater and yes. watch this movie on a big screen. Like this is where they, they really reward that experience. I mean, all of this movie I think rewards that experience, but there are mm-hmm. some shots in particular that really go for it. And then, uh, aboard the helicopter, it's a father daughter's reunion. And Alexi, after getting smacked in the face is wondering why there's so much aggression and asks Elena if it's her time of the month. And uh, Yelena has the perfect comeback for that, as she explains in very graphic detail the or very clinical detail, I should say, the the, you know, her involuntary hysterectomy, which is what Natasha told us about in Avengers Age of Ultron. And uh, Alexi's response to that, though, of you don't have to get so clinical and nasty uh, was also really funny. Uh, But this could have gone really wrong here as far as whether or not this would have you would have sold this because a forced hysterectomy is not a funny subject exactly like it's it absolutely isn't but the reason why this actually i think anyway that this works and and ends up being funny it's not the subject matter it's yelena taking the power back it's yelena taking the power back of what of what happened to her and she's not making light of it, what she's doing, and she's not mocking the forced hysterectomy. She's mocking Alexi and yeah. intentionally, ma- and it's funny because she's making him uncomfortable. And at the very least, Alexi deserves to be made uncomfortable. She is confronting him with the truth of what happened to her, what happened to Natasha, what happens to all of these girls who were taken. 
and making him look like an idiot in the process, or as she called him, a dipshit. That's why it works, is she's forcing him to be uncomfortable, which is, as I said, it's the least. It's such a small thing compared to what actually happened, what Natasha, Yelena, and so many others actually went through. But that's a reckoning for Alexi. Like, oh, this makes you uncomfortable? Well, we actually had to do it. Um, And this makes you uncomfortable with the life that you helped commit us to, uh, that you helped make us a, a part of. You you deserve at least this and, and so much more. So yeah, I'm gonna have a mocking attitude as I explain this to you, uh, just to show you how dumb you are. Yeah, this was a really great scene, and I think again, Florence Pugh just—you said it best, Sean. She is the reason why the scene works. It, it could go south very quickly and go wrong very quickly, depending on who and the two people interacting are. Is something as serious as what they're talking about, and it's done. I, I at first I was it was almost so smooth. Done. It was it went over so smoothly. I was like, did that just go over smoothly? That they're just talking with their subject matter. Is that going to piss people off? I don't know. I I didn't think I didn't see a problem with it, but you know I'm not. I don't know. I, I'm not the me the person would be offended necessarily off the bat, but it definitely came. It, it was definitely portrayed. I thought in a, a, a respectful level, and it was done enough to where I felt that it was appropriate. And it just it was it was real. It was two people. It wasn't like someone's like saying like How dare you, Alexi? Mm-hmm. Just, she's just like you're an idiot. Like this is what it is, yep. you know. And it, that's to me why to me why it worked so well. It felt like a very real conversation, not a condemning conversation, not a how dare you conversation, which could go, you could easily have made it that way, but a real conversation between two people. It's not just, you know, it, it wasn't dr- over dramatized or anything. It's a real con- it felt like a very real conversation. As yeah. much as a real conversation with a super soldier and a and a super spy. Right, right. <laughs> um and Alexi makes a comment about Natasha, you know, buying into the western agenda, becoming an avenger. Um, and they tell him why they got him out. Like, this isn't, uh, you know, cause Alexi's like, Oh, all business. And, and Natasha, trust me, this isn't pleasure. They got him out of prison to find out where the red room is, but he has no idea. Um, but, uh, the, all Alexi can really do here is complain about how Drakoff treated him uh, talking about how he spent three years in Ohio. Uh, and those three years meant everything to Yelena, but all Alexi can do is describe it as tedious that he was bored the whole time. Uh, it was a horrible experience for him, or at least, you know, that's all he's expressing at this point, which, again, we see Elena absorb that comment uh, without uh, actually voicing her opinion about it. That's uh, she's saving that for later. Uh, but we find out that Melina, who was shot, of course, back in uh, the prologue, Melina is alive, still working for the Red Room, still working for Drakov, and would be the person who would know where to find it. She's in St. Petersburg. Elena says they don't have enough fuel. Alexi says they'll make it, and we cut to the crash landing in <laughs> outside of St. Petersburg, and there's a lot of uh, walking, but that was uh, such a good bit. Um, and that's where this movie, I, I think, is... It's something that I think Marvel has, uh, you know, across their movies with the many filmmakers that they've worked with, but, you know, Kevin Feige, at the, as the centerpiece of this, president of Marvel Studios, a producer... And not that it's all him, but like throughout this collaborative process that they have, the way they can balance tone and go back and forth from these heavier, more emotional things to uh, and then cutting to um, what is almost, almost slapstick with the way the helicopter just drops there and it still works. And, and at least for me anyway, doesn't take me at all out of the movie. Like I'm still very much in it. 
Um, mm-hmm. I'm I I can't say enough about that. Like I, I don't even know it's it's stuff that shouldn't work, and yet somehow uh, the way they they cut these movies together, somehow yes. it still does. And Alexi talking about how Natasha should have brought the Avengers super jet, uh, and Alexi like being the the selfish pig that he is, and you know pig in more ways than one, and he'll find out. Uh, Alexi needs to know if Cap ever talked to Natasha about him, uh, how there's like a great, more of a contemporary, a co-equal. Always thought there was a great deal of mutual respect, uh, as if Steve would have any idea who that guy was. Um, but we have just the the twisted sense of, uh, you know, the family dynamic in this, when Alexi talking about how proud he is of his girls, the greatest child assassin in history for Yelena, how Natasha is an Avenger, and then the line that just like destroys every all three times I've seen the movie in a theater with a crowd. You both have killed so many people. Your ledgers must be dripping, just gushing red. I couldn't be more proud of you. Uh, yes, it's Eesh. it's all twisted and dysfunctional. Um, but I guess there was a real bond even for bored Alexi uh, that he's genuinely proud of these girls, even though he's proud of them for things that uh, these aren't the reasons he should be proud. But, yeah, it's really funny. Yeah, this is this. Was, these were moments that I again, I, I didn't I couldn't believe I was loving. I did not expect to love Alexi as much as I did, for sure. Yeah. So uh, we finally catch a glimpse of Melina in the present day of this story. And uh, she's working with her pigs, telling him to go back home where it's safe. And she uh, an alarm is tripped. She grabs a rifle and she spots the family coming through the scope of that rifle and she lets them approach, and we get a honey, we're home from Alexi. Melina puts away the gun, and what we see in this little weapons closet that she has is we see those little digital mask maker mannequins that mm. will come in handy later. There's an even closer shot of them uh, later oh, on. Oh, I know. But, um, then we get this question of whether or not Melina really raised the girls, because Melina says that she, when Natasha's worried about you know traps uh, being in there, she's a Lena's saying, I didn't raise my girls to fall into traps. And Natasha says, you didn't raise us at all, but she did. Uh, She raised them for three years. And Natasha denies that uh, in this moment, but really she feels it. She just doesn't want to acknowledge uh, the pain that she's feeling over everything that's happened. But we saw it on the plane. Uh, I talked about that in for Ohio 1995. That That plane does not take off if there's not a true bond and even a maternal bond from Melina toward Natasha that Natasha also feels. Uh, meanwhile, uh, as we're as it's time for everybody to have a drink, Alexi is trying on his Red Guardian costume, which is just absolutely oh, hilarious. That was amazing. That was amazing. Uh, it still fits, uh, and Melina, for some reason, hasn't washed it once, but I guess you know it didn't shrink or anything. I don't know. I don't know if a suit like that would shrink if you washed it, but it probably smells. But I guess Alexi already smelled, according according to Yelena. So really, there was there was no way for it to get any worse. Um, so then they do talk about uh, they. Melina brings up the concept of their family construct and whether or not they can really call themselves a family. And everyone except Yelena kind of agrees that okay, they don't have to call themselves a family anymore. Um, but. There must have been something real. There was certainly some something real in the romance between Melina and uh, Alexi because they are feeling each other in this scene. And uh, Alexi points out he's been in prison for a long time, has a lot of energy, uh, which <laughs> is uh, awkward and gross and something that the kids, Natasha and Yelena, absolutely do not want to hear. And yet uh, they are presented with this and they can't get away. Um, so uh, I love just when we go with the family dynamic again. Of yes. Melina telling Natasha not to slouch, and Alexi with his up, up. 
like just <laughs> so dumb. Um, uh, but I, I think so good, what though. was probably like the most real, like authentic family moment was the way Yelena reacts to everything. Like when uh, Natasha is like, everyone shut up and, and Yelena's like, I didn't even say anything. And then like Melina's like needling her to get food. Like, I don't want any food. And then like, and nobody's listening to her. So she literally like just looks up, shakes her head and takes a shot. Um, that's a real family reunion right there. Uh, that's a genuine yes. family reunion moment right there of the person who just can't, who just cannot get the word in, is not listened to or acknowledged in any way, just has to sit back and watch all this petty fighting. Uh, and meanwhile, everybody's saying these, these really hurtful things and only she seems to care. Uh, and, and all she can do is just, you know, take a shot to try and numb the, <laughs> numb the pain a little bit. Uh, but of course, mm. as we see, it doesn't really work. Then Melina explains what they were doing in Ohio at the North Institute. It was a front for S.H.I.E.L.D., but really it was Hydra scientists working there at the time. And in conjunction with the Winter Soldier Project, they dissected the brain and figured out how to unlock free will, which was the basis for all that chemical subjugation. And Yelena absorbs this, just looks completely devastated as she turns and looks at Melina because she's hearing basically that it was the woman she sees as her mother, who was her mother, um, who made all of all the suffering that Yelena has experienced, so much of that was made possible by Melina and her work. And here Melina is bragging about it like some great scientific achievement um, with that with no regard for the pain that she's caused and caused her own daughter in uh, Yelena. And uh, Florence Pugh just, I mean, it's a broken record at this point in the podcast, but so yes. good in that. Mm -hmm. um, Meanwhile, Natasha is spewing insults, saying that the family was never real. And finally, Yelena can't just absorb this anymore. She can't take these comments anymore. Uh, we've seen her have her heart broken by these comments from Natasha over and over again, as well as the others. And, and now she speaks up and says that it was real to her. The best part of my life was fake, and none of you told me. And then Yelena tells Melina, you know, the people that you subjugate, like that was me. The people they experimented on, you experimented on, that was me. And um, and then goes back to Natasha. You know, Natasha escaping the Red Room made it impossible for others to get out. And uh, Yelena exit. Uh, she exits the scene, exits the room. And this was the emotional reckoning that was a long time coming throughout this film. And when it came time for Yelena to finally speak up and speak her truth and, and speak to her pain and, and what this all was to her. Florence Pugh yeah. played it perfectly. Yeah, this was this was probably her best performance of the, of the movie and definitely hit me pretty good. And the fact that all three of these people didn't really necessarily consider on at least they tried to deny it to themselves, you know, outwardly that they weren't a family. And then she's the only one that is always considered them family mm -hmm. and is, you know, it just got to say it out loud and, and to see that passion and, and that torment and the fact that that hurt that no one else, everyone rejects it, but her and that she feels even more like isolated. It's, it is a really great scene and well-written and well, well, well performed again, broken record at this point, but yeah, she's definitely a standout. One of the standout scenes for her. Definitely. We're paired off into these one-on-one -on -one conversations. Natasha and Melina, Alexi and Yelena. Melina tells Natasha what really happened to her mother, that it wasn't that her mother abandoned her. They were assessing the genetic potential of infants, and Natasha was selected, so a bargain was struck, but her mother never stopped looking for her until Drakoff had her killed. And Natasha even saying about her mother, I thought about her every day of my life. Whether or not I admitted it to myself, I did. 
And this is Natasha calling out her own behavior. Like a lot of the things that she, you know, she's just been in denial uh, of the things that she thinks about, that she cares about, that she worries about, the connections that she has, that she tries to pretend don't exist, these feelings that she tries to pretend don't exist, that she doesn't want to admit to herself. This is all uh, a coping mechanism for her. And, And calling this out and identifying this within herself is very important in her growing from this and, and not doing this as much, you know, as we see in Infinity War and Endgame. Um, Melina even tries to say that she thinks it's best to not think about the past, and Natasha calls that out because Melina kept the photo album that she told Natasha to leave behind back in 1995, and these contradictions, as human beings, we contradict ourselves all the time, and in the case of these characters, and I think for uh, a lot of us in real life at different points in time, like, these contradictions are the result of coping mechanisms, and it's denying how we feel so that we don't have to feel it when we don't want to, when it's painful. And, you know, Natasha has done this so much. And then this is that key turning point, I think, between where the journey that she's been on and what we caught through Civil War and then where we pick up in Endgame. Because we don't see her doing this. We don't see her lying about masking how she feels in Infinity War and Endgame like we have in previous stories. So this is her identifying what she's been doing, why she's been doing it. And growing from that, I mean, not unlike, you know, we heard uh, Loki say this week on in episode five, you know, I know what I did and I know why I did it. Natasha wasn't, you know, trying to take over Asgard or take over Earth, but it is part of that examining when you identify what you're doing and you can examine why you're doing it, then that's a, a huge part of if it's a harmful behavior for you, not doing it anymore, not furthering uh, patterns that have been harmful to you. So that's key for Natasha. And and that conversation, and really, I know we've talked a lot about Florence Pugh and, and her performance. I think some of that is because she's brand new in this and taking for granted how amazing Scarlett Johansson has been throughout her entire time in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. She is also outstanding in this movie. She is, I mean, just as good as she's ever been. Arguably, mm-hmm. this would be her best performance. I mean, certainly we get more of her in this because it's her own movie and not part of the ensemble. Scarlett Johansson is also brilliant in this film and and turns in such a high caliber performance in Natasha kind of having this emotional reckoning within herself, I I thought was really great. And that conversation between these two characters and and Melina even gets a chance to like once Natasha is vulnerable in front of Melina, Rachel Weisz, another outstanding actor in this movie, another outstanding performance where, I mean, everybody in this ensemble is just crushing it with uh, their performances in this. And Melina talking about how she didn't have a lot of choices either. She'd already been through the Red Room multiple times by the time Natasha was even born. And, you know, Natasha understands, you know, what Melina has been through, that just because Melina is still part of the Red Room, just because she hasn't separated herself from that, it doesn't mean that she has that she's had any more right or ability to choose or feel like she's had that right or ability to choose than Natasha or Yelena. And so Natasha understands that when Melina explains, you know, the, she compares herself to the mouse in the cage who gets on the wheel, um, that this just has just always been her life. Natasha understands that. And then she credits, you know, after denying that this was her mother, gives Melina, you know, that maternal credit of pain only makes us stronger, calling back to the beginning of the film, what you taught me kept me alive, which is saying that, look, for all intents and purposes, you were my mother, is what Natasha is finally saying to uh, to Melina there. Um, and Melina comes clean that she had already alerted the Red Room, but it's going to be okay because now they're going to make a plan and, and we'll see it. But 
Um, the conversation between Alexi and Yelena doesn't go as smoothly as the conversation between uh, Melina and Natasha because Alexi's just not great at speeches. Uh, he ultimately gives a speech about you know his dad peeing on his hands to uh, <laughs> to prevent frostbite because uh, you know fathers, uh, <laughs> which is silly and fun, but. You know, Yelena is the one who really gets to the heart of it. You know, to me, you were everything. So as he's describing this was fake and he was bored and didn't like this assignment, Yelena is saying, you know, you were, of course, everybody here was my family. You as my dad, you were everything. Um, I like that she calls him Crimson Dynamo, which actually is a Marvel character. Great, great. Uh, so, yeah, and I, and I guess popped up in like the first appearance of Black Widow or something like that. I I. Don't remember that part of it as far as Marvel Easter eggs. I do remember like a Crimson Dynamo action figure in the very first action figure line for like the first Iron Man movie and being like, oh, Crimson Dynamo is going to be in these. Not like that movie because I already knew, but I was, but no, no Crimson Dynamo. Just mentioned by name here, uh, mistaken for Red Guardian. But it also shows how petty Alexi is that he can't let it go and he has to correct her. Um, but, you know, Yelena getting a chance to just pour her heart out and, and explain how she felt it really speaks to, you know, Yelena was, it shows the different perspective that no one else in this family or whatever they want to call themselves, but it was a family that no one else has considered that Yelena was too young to see the family as anything other than what it was presented as. That's it. It was real to her. She didn't know there was anything else going on. Maybe thought it was weird as a little kid that she was taking pictures of Christmas presents and then like of opening Christmas presents and then also taking pictures for another holiday the same day, but she was a little kid, so she just rolled with it, and who cares? There's presents. It's fun. So, although I guess the boxes were empty, so that kind of sucked. Uh, yeah. But, you know, this whole thing being real to Yelena speaks to why her, her point of view on this is so different and why it's so hurtful for her to hear uh, the other members of the family being so dismissive of it. And they're doing such a great job in this between the writing, the performance, the direction, everything that we're getting a chance to really get to know this character so well in this story, uh, which is so satisfying as a viewer to watch now, but then also setting up her future. It's just one movie with Yelena Belova, and we're already so invested. Absolutely. And that's the thing I think it's so crazy about this movie is the fact that you have two great characters. It's it's, it's very much a hand, handing of the baton of the Black Widow moniker and like the, these two great actors that I'm not sure was purposeful as far as, it, you know, if you know what they are, you know, Marvel wasn't didn't know they have a surefire hit with Yelena necessarily as far as like, you know, you can never tell with an audience. They, they liked what they saw, obviously. But this very much is like the handing off of these two different characters. And it's it is perfect. I mean, they couldn't you couldn't send off, I think, Black, Black Widow any better than maybe this in Endgame because I, I kind of yeah. in, in Infinity War, you kind of put them all together. But yeah, this is the like this to me is a perfect kind of like handoff of a great actress kind of saying goodbye to the role. And then, and then also a new character kind of taking that moniker and kind of that tie and moving on and taking their own thing with it and being their own character. I think that's the biggest thing. It's not just, you know, a recasting. This is a different character and a much different perspective and it, making it their own. And it's really, really cool. So yeah, it's, this movie has, is able to do that in a brilliant, brilliant way. Yeah, I think so. And I think it's also, look, Scarlett Johansson is also an executive producer on this movie, you know, and was part of the development right. of this movie and very generous on on her part to have this movie to say, like, this was Black Widow and this is Natasha Romanoff, her character finally getting her own film. 
but using that as an opportunity to pass the baton to someone else and give others a chance to shine um, is not something everyone would do uh, and go along with. So, and it just also, it, it's not just about the passing of the baton, that's what's in the best interest of this story. And all of these characters getting a chance to shine was certainly in the best interest of, of the story being told in this film. So everyone is captured because Melina alerted the Red Room. Taskmaster is there, but doesn't really factor into this scene. So then everyone goes to the Red Room. We've heard about it in the MCU. Now we finally see it. It's not what we thought. It is up in the sky, helicarrier style. Um, mm. And we see uh, windows. Uh, we see some widow, not windows. We see widows training. And Melina, who's really Natasha, is looking at them, making her way to Drakoff's office. Drakoff wants Yelena's brain to be cut out to identify the weakness for the counter agent to the mind control. And Drakoff wants to know what's happening because uh, he can't be fooled. He's looking into the eyes of Natasha Romanoff. He knows that's who it is. He removes the mask, revealing that to us, the audience. And then Taskmaster pulls a gun. Uh, Drakoff says, don't go breaking my new toy because the plan for Natasha is to chemically subjugate her so that he will have an Avenger under his control. Uh, meanwhile, Alexei is bearing his soul to Natasha, who isn't Natasha. Uh, it's Melina. Um, but I love when he when he does make a, an important there when he says it's important uh, when he, he says it's important that you should only sacrifice or it's important that he says you should only sacrifice yourself, meaning he's acknowledging that he was making choices for the girls that he shouldn't have made. Although I think if you go back to that scene in Cuba, that there's uh, there's no way uh, that they survive if he doesn't uh, go along mm. with that, although I don't really know that, you know, of course, he had no assurance that they were going to survive anyway. And it's just kind of fortunate that it, it worked out semi-okay uh, with a lot of not-okay stuff happening in between. Uh, but anyway, uh, Melina designed the cell, so she gets him out. And then she's in full mom mode where, like, the earpiece that Yelena is wearing as she's about to get her brain cut out, like, Melina goes full-on, it's me, it's mama. Uh, so then Yelena mm -hmm. whoops some ass. Uh, we get a great earpiece bit where Alexi, he tried to give a speech to Natasha. She wasn't really there. Now he's trying to give a speech to Yelena, um, but he doesn't have an earpiece. Um, so like, <laughs> that was awesome. That was amazing. That was so, so great. Um, we're back in Drakoff's office and Natasha um, uh, is wondering about her mother. And uh, Drakoff is just super despicable when he talks about the grave of, you know, marked unknown. And uh, it's just ugh, what a gross guy. Um, Natasha saying, you don't feel anything. Uh, what about your daughter? And now we get officially the reveal. Drakoff's daughter, Antonia, is Taskmaster. And he says, do you find it difficult to look at her? I do. And I think this choice really works. I mean, we've talked about the how they set it up and how we were kind of tracking this throughout the story. But we haven't talked quite as much about this choice of making Antonia, Drakoff's daughter, Taskmaster, not that we had some huge emotional attachment to Drakoff's daughter prior to this movie, because as we said, we didn't even think that was a different person. We thought that was a nickname for Natasha. But it works because if we're talking about the story of Natasha and kind of reconciling her past with her present and, and leading to a, a better and, and healthier future, she is being chased by, she's been being chased by Taskmaster in this movie. She's been being chased by the red in her ledger, by Drakoff's daughter in this and, you know, being confronted by the sins of her past gives her the opportunity to take responsibility for them, apologize for them, as, as she will in this movie, and then move forward. So um, I think this choice totally works. I know this is not who Taskmaster is in the comic books, but 
I don't think there was a way to really have uh, to stick with what was in the comic books and have it be as relevant to the story as this is for Natasha Romanoff and still accomplishes and does all the cool things that we know about Taskmaster. And for me, Taskmaster has been all about the costume and the abilities more so than who was underneath the costume. So this is a choice that's emotionally relevant to Natasha and Taskmaster is cool as hell in this movie. So I like this Antonia as Taskmaster and also creates a more interesting dynamic for this character to perhaps move forward in other stories in the MCU. Yeah, this was one thing that I, I knew they weren't going to go the same route. Whereas you have a mercenary and this guy is, you know, he's a mutant or whatever you want to call him. There's, there's, there's all kinds of retcons or whatever with this guy. But anyway, I mean, Taskmaster has fans. I'm not going to deny that, but it's not like it's, he's got legions of fans and he's been like carrying his own like comic off and on for years, like even like an Ant-Man or something like that. The guy basically has a small following, small, small following. He's been used, you know, periodically throughout the, you know, the Marvel 616 universe. And it is a good, it's a fun, good character. What they've done here has attached way, has way more deeper meaning um, and I think the first thing is, and I've, I've said this before on the podcast that taskmaster is a, is wise cracking character and you already have that in Deadpool. There's no way you can have those two characters. I think exist at, at least in, uh, the MCU and have it just be, be, uh, real or not real, but just authentic and original. It's just not going to be the same. People are going to call them the Deadpool knockoff. And it's just, I mean, yeah, again, you could do that. You could still have those two characters exist, but I just don't think you need to. And I think that the, the choice of going down a, a little bit of a different route of having it be uh, her, this character that changed the gender, have her tied to Black Widow's origin in the MCU just makes sense. And I love the idea. And I've, there's something I think interesting in the fact that they went from a wise ca- cracking, never stop talking like character in Taskmaster from the comic books to a doesn't say a word right. in the movie. And I think that to me is a great choice because you're not trying to play that middle ground. You're not trying to, you know what I mean? Like it's, it's pretty much like, no, we're establishing this is a completely different character. And I think that if people were expecting it to be the same character, I, I mean, I knew it wasn't the fact that, that we never saw dialogue and I was assuming we're, we're going to have any dialogue with the character. I have no problems with, with what they, what they've done. I really like the, the dynamic and the fact that they made it way more of a tragedy. So I'm all, I'm all in on this interpretation. Yeah. And I think having taskmaster, at least in this film, I mean, we'll see, I mean, maybe Antonia won't want to be taskmaster. I mean, now that she's not forced to be, maybe she'll want to give up a life of violence or maybe she'll stick with it and use her abilities for something good. I, I don't know. But as far as, you know, the character in this film and, and, yeah, I agree that the not talking is part of what makes Taskmaster so intimidating in this story that like there's no yeah. as your your past is chasing you, this ghost of your past. Not that Natasha knew that that's what it was in this story until the very end. But it's like it's this thing you can't negotiate with. You know, you can't talk your way out of this like you just have to work through it in some way. Like, I, I think there was something about that that worked really, really well and provided emotional takes to Taskmaster that. I think don't uh, otherwise would have been there and being able to take the whole concept of Drakoff's daughter from Avengers and spin it into this yeah. uh, is pretty, uh, that's pretty incredible. I'm, I'm, beyond, I'm, I'm pretty impressed by that. And then because Drakoff decides that, or he already knows that he doesn't want to kill Natasha, there's no need for Taskmaster to be there. 
So Dracoff assigns Taskmaster to go kill the rats in the basement. So Melina, Alexi, Yelena, Taskmaster goes take that goes to take care of that problem, which means that now Natasha is alone with Dracoff, so she can kill him. No, Dracoff didn't mind losing protection from Taskmaster because didn't need it because his pheromones prevent Natasha from harming him with violence, which means that uh, which Natasha already knows and, and has planned for as uh, as we will see. But I like the little layers and like the spy games to this of these moves and counter moves. And of course, Melina and Natasha being able to work together and anticipate all of the things that Dracoff is going to do and try and use that uh, against him as much as they can. But we cut back to uh, Taskmaster versus Red Guardian. Alexi wants to, before the fight starts, wants to give a little speech to Melina. Can't because she's gone. So another funny uh, failure at an attempted speech by Alexi. And uh, also we see that uh, Taskmaster is using that Black Panther fighting style that we saw Taskmaster uh, studying early on in the, in the movie when we first saw Taskmaster in this film. So then we cut to Yelena, who drops out of a vent into full-on hero pose and discusses herself uh, with that. And uh, really great action from uh, Florence Pugh, as well as her double, like being able to do some of the fight sequences, like getting away when her brain was going to be cut out to taking out this guy to get his hand scanned for security. Like that little shooting past him and kind of kicking him and tripping him up, I thought was really, really cool. And then uh, Natasha... Because she can't harm Dracoff physically, she goes after him verbally, provoking him, talking about how he doesn't fight in the shadows, or he didn't fight in the shadows, he hid in the dark, and he she mocks him repeatedly. And then Dracoff, who's tried to appear so calm and collected through all of this, like he's the one who's ahead of everybody else, loses it and starts hitting Natasha, and then she aggravates him even more. Uh, by mocking him, going after him, calling him weak, that he can't hit. And uh, Dracoff is such a small person in this. And Ray Winstone, this is where, as a villain performance goes, I really like it. This story is not about him. It's not the depth of Dracoff, about the depth of Dracoff. He doesn't have any depth. He's just this evil, despicable guy. There's no complicated moral stance of, being the hero from your own perspective or, you know, the villain being the hero of their own story or there's none of that with Dracoff. He just wants to amass power and he pretends that he's been satisfied this whole time by being powerful behind the scenes, undetectable influence, but clearly he's not satisfied. He wants to be able to emerge from the shadows. He even says that, that his new plan with all these widows, he's going to be able to show the world just how powerful he is when he's sure that nobody is safe in the thought that nobody's going to be able to stop him. But that just proves Natasha's point that he was and has been hiding in the dark. And he is such a small person with all the terrible things that he's done. Deep down, this is a very small, pathetic person, despite how intimidating uh, he has been or, or may seem. And the way she's able to get underneath his skin, like when uh, talks about how desperate he is to impress people or impress her, and he even says, I don't need to impress you. Uh, but meanwhile, the very next thing he does is try to impress Natasha and try to show off how powerful he is. So Natasha has totally nailed this as far as who Dracoff is and is able to use who he is and, and how petty and small he is, use that against him and see the plan where she sees the widows all over the world 
And uh, Dreykov just becomes, I mean, he's already super gross and he just takes it up a level by talking about he's using the only natural resource the world has too much of girls. And we, we see all of these girls that he's taken and who he's turning into widows and all of the, and, and so many more that we know that he has taken over the years and so many who are gone, who were killed or had their lives completely ruined because he took away choice from them. So we see just how terrible, just how awful Drakoff has been. And and that's where it's a little different as far as a villain approach, because we've had so many somewhat sympathetic villains to varying degrees, but Drakoff is an example where there's there's no sympathy for there's no sympathy to be had. This guy is purely evil and needs to be stopped. And Natasha, because she's so good at using people's ego against them, she's gotten Drakeoff to admit everything and also show how to access all the information that he has with the ring that she's going to steal. And Natasha throws out, thank you for your cooperation, a line she famously said to Loki way back in the Avengers in 2012, where uh, Natasha has that ability that, especially with men, uh, to use their their need to brag about how good they are and how smart they are, uh, use that against them. And once she has the information and has had Drakov's uh, unwitting cooperation, she severs the nerve so that way she can't smell those pheromones anymore, breaks her own nose, because as she points out, uh, Drakov was, uh, was not strong enough to do it. So uh, that allows her to attack Drakov. And I just loved all the cutting back and forth as far as these safety nets that Drakoff was going to rely on and then showing Natasha and Melina planning for that in advance. And all these different reveals, the different layers to this plan between the mask and knowing that Drakoff was going to uncover that and knowing that uh, that he would rely on Natasha's inability to attack him and having these different reveals in these different places of how this was working and how detailed the plan was that they hatched very quickly between Natasha and Melina, all these little layers and wrinkles to it just added to the the suspense and, and made the finale of this more, and the takedown of Drakoff made it all much more intricate um, and much more interesting to watch. So all of that, I thought, was, uh, was really, really great. And then, you know, Melina getting a chance to show that, you know, it's not everybody else who gets to have all the fun. You know, when she refers to a slight change of plans as she destroys an engine, so now it's going to be a controlled crash, uh, and Melina using that Hurricane Rana move uh, as well as a pose. Like, was she the one who taught uh, Natasha at an early age? I don't know. Or maybe everybody in the Red Room can do that. But Melina using that move to help save Red Guardian from Taskmaster and lock up Taskmaster ever uh, so briefly, I thought was really cool. And uh, meanwhile, Natasha ready to take out Drakoff, but the Widows attack. And we've been talking about and praising the fight sequences in this movie over and over again. And here's another example of it. Such a terrific job of just selling the brutality of this. I mean, the moves that we see, the knees to the face, the throws, the slams, the slamming onto a desk for Natasha. I mean, Natasha holds her own for a little while there, um, but ultimately there's just too many of these other widows and they're all very capable in their own right. And this is just another like literal physical manifestation of Natasha battling her past while she's trying to save the future of these women and so many more. And uh, speaking of saving, Yelena is the one who makes the save. And then we see, of course, she has the little bomb that she rigged to make the vials explode and uh, help save all of these uh, widows who ask, uh, what do we do now? 
and uh, they're told by Natasha that they get to make their own choices now. And then Natasha uses that uh, ring that she stole from Drakoff to get all the data that she needs so that all the other widows who are out there can be found and they can also be saved so that they can actually make their own choices as well. And this brings us to our free fall sequence as the Red Room is crashing down from the sky and we get some cool jet action with Melina and Alexi and that shield throw that we've seen in the trailers. We also see uh, Natasha, meanwhile, as she's trying to escape the Red Room. She falls through the floor and finds herself right in front of Taskmaster, who is in that cell. But Natasha owes Taskmaster this, what she does next, uh, because Antonia deserves to be saved. And Natasha even says, I know you're still in there, and I'm not going to leave you. And I think it's really, when we talk about the accountability, the responsibility for the choices, uh, is recognizing for Natasha that Taskmaster or Antonia, who's been after her and trying to kill her so much throughout this movie, that none of this is Antonia's responsibility at all. And Antonia is no more at fault for what she's been doing than any of these widows. She is just like all of them. And this in this story that's about women who've had their choice taken away from them and, and getting it back, Natasha trying to reach out and do that for Antonia and being successful in that in this uh, was really beautiful within the storytelling. And it's not none of it makes up for what Natasha did to Antonia, but it's as close as Natasha can get in terms of accountability and and taking responsibility. And then uh, and, and using, of course, the fact that Taskmaster and that Antonia is at this point still chemically programmed to terminate Natasha using that to try and save Antonia for Natasha is definitely a great hero move uh, on her part. But again, it's also about accountability. She owes Antonia at least that much. So uh, as Natasha is on the run, she sees Yelena, who is atop the jet that Drakov has boarded, and Yelena gets to be the one who actually kills Drakov. Not Natasha, who's had this entire history with the Red Room that we've heard about throughout a number of movies. It would be the easy choice to give Natasha the final word, the final act in taking out uh, taking out Drakov, but it's not her. It's Yelena. And even for Yelena, she's not looking Drakov in the eyes. It's not, you know, Thor going for Thanos and not going for the head at the end of Avengers Infinity War. It's not me being Yelena or Natasha, it's not me showing you that I'm getting revenge on you, that you deserve this and I'm the one doing this to you. There's no pride in the act or anything like that. It doesn't play as revenge. It just plays as this guy has to be stopped. And it really doesn't matter who stops him, whether it's Yelena or Natasha or Melina or whoever, Drakov just needed to be stopped. And that's very important for this story to show as far as how we're looking at it and how we're defining it, that it's not about Natasha's revenge. It's Natasha's story, but it's also Yelena's. And she has just as much cause for wanting to stop Drakov as Natasha. All of these women have just as much cause for wanting to stop Drakov. And so stopping Drakov because he needed to be stopped, not out of some grudge or a need for a revenge, shows the story is about more than personal grudges and satisfying that need 
It is about something bigger. It actually is about some greater good and saving all of these women and, and making sure that Drakoff never has a chance to hurt anyone else. And then uh, the explosion sends Yelena plummeting to back down to Earth. We get the the real free fall sequence begins here. And Natasha catches Yelena, sets her up with a parachute, and then sees that Taskmaster is in pursuit. And this sequence was cool as hell to watch on the big screen. I loved watching it on the big screen, but I also have to call foul on Marvel and the Disney marketing team because after seeing this in the movie, I mean, I was maybe already a little worried about it and seeing it in the marketing, but thinking that they must have held a lot back from this still and there would be a lot more to see. Most of this was in the marketing. Most of this free uh, this free fall sequence we saw in trailers, TV spots, featurettes, whatever you want to call it. And I think they just showed too much of this in advance. As cool as it looks, it would have been even cooler to experience some of it for the very first time, uh, not just on the big screen, but the first time anywhere in a theatrical viewing. So I wish they had held more of this back. And I know there wasn't really a way to add a lot more to the scene. I mean, it had to go fast because, you know, they're free falling. There's gravity. So they only have so much time in the scene. And uh, there were a couple shots in there that were new and, and not from the trailer. But there was a lot of it that was, still was there, including some of the coolest shots that I wish they had held back. I think they could have sold us on the idea that this scene was in the movie without giving almost all of it away. So hopefully they they hold back from some of this stuff in uh, in future trailers and other marketing material. But as we get to the ground, it's one last fight between Natasha and Taskmaster, but this time it's not really a fight. Even when Natasha gets the sword, she opens up her guard and drops it. And that is, I think, another showcase of Natasha of understanding that, that Taskmaster or Antonia, really, because this is who it is now for Natasha and for us, Antonia doesn't deserve this aggression. She doesn't deserve to be attacked. Obviously, Natasha needs to survive, but really what matters is saving Antonia. And Natasha gets to do that by smashing a vial on the ground and Antonia uh, recovers, which allows Natasha to apologize, not to Taskmaster, but to Antonia, who wants to know if Drakoff is done, and he is. And Natasha saying, I'm sorry a couple of times, it obviously doesn't cover what Natasha did knowingly triggering the explosion or having Barton or whoever triggered the explosion while seeing that Antonia was in there. But Natasha was in a compromised position. We know uh, when she did this, she was in a compromised position. We understand why she did it. It doesn't mean she did the right thing and deserves to be praised for it. But we also understand why she felt like that was her only choice, as terrible as that choice was. But for Natasha, there's no way to make up for what she did to Antonia. But just because the apology doesn't solve it doesn't mean that Natasha doesn't need to still express that apology and express that regret, not just within herself, but outwardly to Antonia, say that she was sorry for what Natasha uh, had done. And I think Antonia, uh, as much as anyone might understand how Natasha maybe didn't feel in that moment, maybe didn't feel like she had a choice, but we don't get the full on conversation there. We get the apology from Natasha and we'll see what else we get uh, if we see a future with Antonia in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Um, Natasha finds Yelena and they call back to both being upside down uh, earlier in the movie. 
And Natasha, she came clean earlier in the conversation with Melina, but she's not yet had time to have that sort of conversation and, and be real with Yelena. And she gets that here where she apologizes to Yelena, apologizes for not going back and, and ever trying to uh, and ever trying to look for her, apologizes to her and calls her her little sister. And Natasha says it was real to me, too. And they hug. And of course, it was real. A big part of the reason why I think Natasha had to deny that is because she was so young when it happened and there was no real way, even though Natasha knew more about this. I mean, she knew that there was a a construct at work here. She was aware of that in a way that Yelena wasn't, but Natasha was still very young. I mean, what they were all going through would be difficult at any age, but Natasha was still very, very young and I think was probably confused by the combination of knowing that this was a construct, that knowing that they were spies or or whatever, knowing that, but then not being able to help but feel the connection, that they were living life as a family for three years, and those were three very formative years for Natasha So there was no way for it to not be real, but had to convince herself that it wasn't real, not admit to herself that it was uh, that it was real because that would hurt too much. There would be too much pain in that to acknowledge that she really did lose a family and she really did lose a little sister. So it was that denial that she was living in, similar to her mother and trying to act like and convince herself that she didn't really care about her birth mother while every single day actually thinking about her. And you can just imagine that every single day, Natasha must have been thinking about Melina and Alexi, and especially Yelena, whom we saw that she was so protective of at the very beginning of this movie. So it all meant just as much to Natasha as it ever meant, I think, to Yelena And she finally admits that. And I think that is something that Yelena is obviously very happy and relieved to hear. But I also think it's very fulfilling and satisfying for Natasha to be able to finally say that out loud and admit to that connection and what it meant to her. And I think it's a huge part of her growth as a character in this story in the Marvel Cinematic Universe that leads her into Infinity War and Avengers Endgame. Uh, Meanwhile, uh, Melina and Alexi approach, wondering if, uh, and Natasha's wondering if everyone's okay. Great line from Melina, as played by Rachel Weiss, I am clearly injured. Uh, Ross and company are there because they were called in to catch Drakeoff once the Red Room landed. Of course, things went uh, differently. Natasha tells the family to go and that she'll stay. And Yelena decides that as a parting gift, Natasha can have the vest because I know how much you like it. So this sets up uh, the wardrobe choice for Natasha in Avengers Infinity War. The Widows return, having taken off in a jet to survive the Red Room crashing down. They come back to help the family, and they're also there to help Antonia. They're not going to leave her behind, particularly there was the the one widow who had been working with Antonia slash Taskmaster earlier, telling her to smile when we first saw Taskmaster in the movie. So even that comeback to show that there was a bond between those characters through whatever chemical subjugation they were experiencing and not knowing the difference between the what was them versus what was the chemical influence. Well, there was a part of them uh, that was probably where there was somewhat of a genuine bond. So uh, Elena and the family are tasked with saving the rest of these widows who are out there. 
Molina will have to synthesize more of the formula within those, uh, the antidote within those vials. And Yelena, as Natasha says, should be there as uh, all of those widows come out of that chemical subjugation and have a chance to emerge as their true selves and start making their own choices. Ross and all of those Humvees start getting a lot closer. The family takes off. It's just Natasha, and we see her waiting in that shot of her that we have seen many times in uh, the trailers and other marketing. And I'm okay with that shot having already been shown to us because it's not like it, it's not the most awe-inspiring big screen visual it's a very nice shot but it doesn't necessarily spoil a big visual set piece from the film so i'm okay with that already having been in the marketing and it's not like that really clued us into what the ending of this film was and that isn't quite the ending i mean it almost feels like the end of the movie because it cuts to black and then we get another scene that Almost feels more like a mid credit scene. I mean, I guess it technically isn't because there were no credits, but I also think part of the reason why is the above-the-line titles. We got opening titles in this one, so that's why we didn't necessarily get the above-the-line titles because that's how mid credit scenes usually work is we get the titles with the big credits for all the actors and the producers and, every, and writers, director, everybody, and then we get a mid credit scene, and then we get the rest of the credits and the post credit scene. Because we had the opening titles, we don't get all those above-the-line credits at the very end of the movie. So I think that's why this one, we cut to black and then we go to another scene that still feels like it's part of this movie because you have the whole Firefly connection from the beginning of the film. But it's also very clearly more about kind of the handoff to where we know Natasha went next because this is two weeks later. So Natasha has gotten away from Ross somehow. And I don't think it's because she brokered some deal because we weren't shown or told what happened. So I will just assume the simplest version of the story, which is somehow Natasha got away and she's probably still on the run because she's dyed her hair blonde as she was contemplating in her trailer earlier in the film. And Mason has really come through this time. It's a proper jet and it's not just any jet. This is the one that we saw the unofficially titled or unofficially known as the Secret Avengers with Natasha Romanoff, Steve Rogers, Sam Wilson and company. This was what they had in Avengers Infinity War. This is where it came from. Natasha Romanoff takes off and the Alan Silvestri Avengers theme starts to swell up. As And also in this scene, Natasha talked about having two families, her Avengers as well as the family that we met in this film. But that takeoff for Natasha into her future and her heroic end, well, not quite her end yet in Avengers Infinity War, but then her heroic end in Avengers Endgame a really great, as I said, handoff from where this movie, where and when this movie was taking place to where we saw her next, which suggests to me that they're not really looking to do another Natasha Romanoff story in between this film and Avengers Infinity War. This one pretty much catches it uh, catches us up. But it's also interesting the way this one works in the timeline because this scene is happening before the prison break with Steve Rogers at the end of Captain America Civil War. So this, along with some other clues, I mean, we have been talking about this as being between Civil War and Infinity War, but it's actually taking place during Civil War, at least during part of Civil War. It's after the main story of Captain America Civil War, but we don't really know how far after the battle between Cap and Iron Man and the dropping of the shield and before we cut to Avengers Compound and Tony Stank, we don't really know how much time elapsed between those two scenes. So somewhere in between there, although it may not be, it could be, this movie could be taking place 
after that, but we were cutting back and forth as Tony was reading the letter to Steve doing the breakout at the raft, but just because those two scenes were cutting back and forth between each other, it doesn't mean that they were happening at exactly the same time. But yeah, there's a little gap here between the main story of Civil War and the prison break, and Black Widow is happening in between that. So the prison break wasn't immediate, which in some ways actually makes Civil War make even more sense, because it's not like, I mean, the raft is a pretty significant prison facility, so I don't think Steve would have just been able to uh, do that easily. And it also confirms that Natasha was there and Natasha helped and Natasha came through with a jet, uh, which you really need if you're going to do a stage of prison breakout at a prison like the raft that's in the middle of the ocean. So just adding a little more context and a little more detail to the breakout at the very end of Captain America Civil War, I thought was cool. But timeline questions and scenarios aside, what really matters is, again, catching us up uh, and completing Natasha Romanoff's story in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And, and I really do think that, uh, you know, this, unless Natasha comes back from Vormir somehow, uh, that this is it for her based on the way uh, they handed things off from this movie to Avengers Infinity War, which I'm more than okay with based on how great this movie was, but I, I don't want to sum things up yet. And, and also, Paul is going to get a chance to sum things up, or he already has, through uh, the magic of editing. If you, you may have noticed by now that Paul actually hasn't spoken in a while on the podcast, so that's because Paul had to jump out. Um, but I am going to be able to share his overall kind of final thoughts on uh, Black Widow. This podcast recording just kind of ran long, as ours tend to do. Um, so Paul won't be here to discuss, uh, well, wasn't here to discuss the finale of the movie with me, and also won't be able to discuss the post credit scene. But I'm here, and I will uh, talk about it now. So the post credit scene, Yelena gets out of a pickup truck. She has the dog that she wanted. The dog is named Fanny. Don't know if the dog has a last name of Longbottom or not. Yelena is visiting a cemetery, and we see a tombstone there. Natasha Romanoff, daughter, sister, Avenger. Or actually, we see daughter, sister, Avenger before uh, we see uh, Natasha Romanoff as the name. But we knew what it was going to be because we saw Avengers Endgame. And we get the Black Widow symbol right there on uh, the headstone as well. And I would have to guess that Yelena chose the site uh, of where uh, this uh, this headstone was going to be. I mean, Natasha Romanoff's body, as far as we know, never made it back to Earth. It was on Vormir. But as far as where there would be this, uh, this grave, this tombstone for Natasha Romanoff, I'm guessing Yelena chose it because when someone pops up later talking about being allergic to the Midwest... That suggests that it's in Ohio. Who would have a reason to choose Ohio but Yelena? Maybe Clint Barton factored into the decision, although it doesn't sound like Yelena and Clint Barton have communicated since Avengers Endgame, if ever. So it looks like this was a choice Yelena made. And it doesn't match the setting exactly that uh, Drakoff mentioned to Natasha as far as where her mother was buried with the the unmarked grave or the unmarked tombstone that said unknown, that it was by a tree, although it mentioned cherry blossoms and something. We don't really see that here at this uh, cemetery, but the the grave site for Natasha is close to a tree. I mean, it, it I don't think it's an exact match, but maybe it wouldn't be. And who knows if Natasha ever shared that information with Yelena or not. But in any event, Yelena is here paying her respects, and I don't think this is the first time she's been there, but paying her respects and missing her sister. And as she kneels down next to the tombstone, 
and uh, clutches it. She whistles, but this time, you know, the whistling that we heard at the beginning of the movie between the two sisters at the end before the credits, the whistle is not returned this time because Natasha is gone. Instead, we hear some, uh, instead we hear some sniffling, and it comes from Julia Louis-Dreyfus as Valentina, or Don't Call Me Val, saying she is allergic to the Midwest. And Yelena already knows Valentina based on this interaction, um, and even says, you know, Valentina is not supposed to be bothering her on her holiday. Yelena wants a raise. Apparently, so does Val, which suggests maybe Val's got bosses. I don't know. But Val is there to, or don't call me Val, is there to present Yelena with her next target, a shot at the man responsible for her sister's death. And on that tablet is a picture of one Clint Barton in his Ronin slash Hawkeye getup from Avengers Endgame. There are definitely some questions inspired by this scene, but let's just look at it at the surface for right now as far as what the next step is. The next step is that Yelena is going to be in the Hawkeye Disney Plus series, which we already knew. That had already been confirmed. What we didn't know, however, before this uh, before this tag, what we didn't know is the nature of her involvement in the story. We didn't know that Yelena was going to be tasked with hunting down Clint Barton. And what we don't know based on this tag, I mean, we know that's the assignment, but now how is Yelena going to respond to this? Does she really hold Clint Barton responsible? For what happened to Natasha, and if she does, how does she handle that? Or, or even what could be even more fascinating is what if she doesn't? If if she holds him responsible and then learns that really he wasn't responsible, and Natasha made her choice on Vormir and, and fought Barton to make sure he wasn't the one who sacrificed himself there, and that Natasha would be the one who would die to get the Soul Stone and bring everyone back. If Yelena, perhaps through a conversation with Clint Barton can come to the conclusion that where she no longer feels he was responsible, or maybe even right now as Valentina is saying that she doesn't buy the idea that Clint Barton is responsible, regardless of when she comes to that conclusion, if she does, what does she do about it? Cause we still don't really know the nature of this working relationship with Valentina. Is this a situation where Elena is definitely following orders or is she actively making her own choices? I would like to think it's the latter based on the story we just went through in this film. So I think it's going to be more of an idea of Yelena does hold him responsible and then maybe won't. But how does that factor into it? If she doesn't take out this target that she's been assigned, how does that impact this working relationship with Valentina? And is this a working relationship that is a good thing or is this a very negative and harmful thing for Yelena? That's another thing that we don't know. We don't really know where things stand with Don't Call Me Val just yet. We know that she recruited John Walker in Captain America in The Falcon and the Winter Soldier, or at the end of it, Captain America and the Winter Soldier. We know that happened. This sounds like there's already been a pre-established working relationship between these two characters. And I don't know. Another question though is was Yelena blipped? I'm inclined to think that she probably was, because I'd be wondering why. Natasha and Yelena weren't working together, that maybe Natasha would have wanted to reach out to Yelena, or maybe she did, and Yelena feels guilty because she refused to help Natasha or join what was left of the Avengers or something like that after the snap. Maybe that's what happened, but I'm also inclined to think that maybe Yelena was blipped, and even if she was, there'd still be time to establish a working relationship between Yelena and Valentina. I mean, it could have happened between Black Widow and Infinity War, uh, it, between, of course, Black Widow and the end of Infinity War with the snap, 
if Yelena was blipped. And also when Yelena would have returned, who knows how long this scene at the cemetery is after Endgame. We don't really have a time frame for it. We know we have some stories that took place months after Avengers Endgame. Perhaps this is even later than all of that. But point being, there's been enough time one way or the other, blipped or not blipped, for Yelena to be working with uh, Valentina. And you just wonder how Yelena ended up in this position in the first place. We still don't know if it's entirely bad because maybe Valentina is well-intended. I don't know that I really trust her on that level at at this point, and I don't really know that any of us are, are meant to, but maybe it's a, as we've talked about, more of that gray area, Thunderbolts, Dark Avengers sort of thing where Yelena is doing some good, things that need to get done, but aren't necessarily the things that look as noble, as heroic on the surface, but they still have to happen for the greater good. And so maybe that's where Yelena is in this position and having these mixed emotions with these things of feeling like this is better than what she was doing, but still can't feel entirely good about what she's doing, uh, working for or with Valentina. So it, it creates a lot of interesting questions as far as where things will go next. And then when we look at the bigger picture, outside of just what happens next with Yelena and Hawkeye. But if we're talking about Valentina assembling a team or even already having some recruits, some members of that team, is she going to be bringing them together in either a Disney Plus series or a feature film that unites Yelena Belova, John Walker, and perhaps some other characters that we will see Valentina recruit or see that she has already recruited along the way? Certainly a lot of interesting possibilities for the future. But also, I think what this does, though, as uh, as a tag, as far as representing what's what's been achieved by this film, or one of the achievements of this film, was this passing of the baton from Natasha Romanoff to Yelena Belova. And I think that's probably the coolest part about this scene for me, is yes, there's the excitement of Yelena is uh, tasked with taking out Hawkeye, and what does that mean for the Disney Plus series? What are we going to see there? Yeah, all of that's great, but... Thematically, we will get the the bigger picture of what's happening in this movie. We had this passing of the baton from Natasha Romanoff to Yelena, and it was done so beautifully with each of them getting a chance to shine. And now we see that the next step is for now with Yelena having the baton to carry it forward with her story. And we get a look at the next step in her story with this post credit scene, which I thought was really well done. And now before I wrap things up with my own thoughts, Here's Paul's final thoughts, at least for now, on Black Widow in this spoiler review. For me, Black Widow is this great, great send-off to the character and the actress of Scarlett Johansson slash Black Widow and an introduction to a whole new world that she's kind of led us into. And the baton has been tasked to Yolanda, Florence Pugh's character, and I, I couldn't be more satisfied with with this ending and with this film. Yes, it is a little over the top. I do, even though I do like the ending of the the red room exploding and the fight scenes going flying down, it's super over the top. But it works for me, and I think it's again because it's in this greater superhero with Norse mythology, gods and cosmic, you know, warriors and things like that. It all works together. I want to see Black Widow again. I'm not going to wait for I'm not going to buy it on Disney Plus. I'm going to wait for it on Blu-ray or 4K or whatever and get that version. But I'm excited to watch it again. I'm going to try to go to the theater and watch it again. We'll see. Uh, but either way, I think Black Widow is a 
huge success for the MCU. I, I, again, I liked it more than I thought I was going to. And I never thought I'd like it this much. I thought I'd like it, but I really, really liked it. And I think the characters are the reason why. And I can't wait to see more Melina, more Red Guardian. I, I can't wait to see these characters more. And I, can't, I do look forward to watching this movie again. And I can't wait. And this has been awesome going back to the theater. And I cannot wait for Shang-Chi, Sean. I can't wait. I can't wait for Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings either, although we have some help with that. I mean, we've got this brand new Black Widow movie to enjoy over and over again, another episode of Loki, and some episodes of, at least some episodes of Marvel Studios' What If before we get to Shang-Chi and Legend of the Ten Rings in September. Speaking of What If, you will hear my thoughts on that What If trailer in the Patreon credit scene that corresponds with this episode of the MCU Fan Show which you'll be able to access if you go to patreon.com slash Sean Gerber, S-E-A-N-G-E-R-B-E-R, or just hit the link in the show notes. As for this brand new movie that I plan to continue watching over and over again, I really love Black Widow for all the reasons that you've heard me mention throughout this spoiler review, and probably several more that I will mention that haven't even occurred to me yet or that I haven't yet articulated in this podcast that perhaps I will in future podcasts, because this certainly won't be the last time we talk about this movie. But I think that this film had a lot of things that there was pressure on this movie as the the Black Widow solo movie, not just the first one, but perhaps the only one because of what's happened with Natasha in the Marvel Cinematic Universe having died in Avengers Endgame, being a movie that people have wanted for such a long time, as well as the burden that this movie and, and no movie should really have of being the first MCU movie in over two years and people having to wait uh, even longer than normal to get this movie because, of course, it being delayed for so long for reasons we all know. And to have all of that going into it, to have people waiting for this movie for so many different reasons and waiting so long for so many different reasons, I don't know that it was ever really this movie's job to be worth the wait since... So much of that weight had nothing to do with the movie itself. It wasn't really the movie's job, but that could always be the perception. And yet, regardless of whether or not it was the job of this movie to be worth the weight, it somehow was. At least for me, I was very satisfied with this movie. And for all that, uh, for all the waiting through the delay and everything else, but in that we got this movie now. And, and what I'm really referring to there is not so much the 14 month delay, but got it now at this point for Natasha's journey, where we're getting it after it already came to an end in Avengers Endgame. And we didn't get it earlier as we were going through the lead up to and, and throughout the Infinity Saga. I think we ended up with the best version of this movie. Should there have been a Black Widow movie before this? There's definitely an argument to be made for that, and I probably wouldn't even end up disagreeing with that argument, but the net result of getting this movie when we did, I think, helped allow this movie, and not that that was the intention. It's not like they held off on a Black Widow movie because they knew it would be the best version, but with the way it worked out for one reason or another, we got the best version of this story because it happened after Avengers Endgame, and because it happened after Civil War and Avengers Infinity War that... We had these movies between Civil War and then Infinity War and Endgame that gave us this gap in Natasha's story. And we knew that there was a big emotional experience that she must have gone through and come out on the other side of a, a better version of herself um, and a version of herself that she could more easily accept in a healthy and positive way and embrace relationships like we saw her doing 
in Infinity War and Endgame. Something had to have happened in between. Something very interesting had to have happened in between that we needed to see as an audience. So that ground was left right there for this movie to cover. And it did such a tremendous job of that, giving Natasha Romanoff one last opportunity to shine. Scarlett Johansson, one last opportunity to shine in this role. Maybe we'll see her again somewhere down the line. But for now, I'm just taking it as this is the last one and appreciating it as such, because this is a great story, a great movie and a great performance for Scarlett Johansson to go out on uh, with this uh, outstanding film that not only served Natasha Romanoff and allowed her to, you know, this send off for her, this glorious send off that she gets with this film um, and for our last perhaps experience with her as, as an audience as a brand new film. I know, of course, we know the timeline continues with Avengers Endgame, but this is the last time perhaps that we're going to see Scarlett Johansson as Natasha Romanoff in a MCU movie for the first time. So this being the send off, I don't really think there's a better one that Natasha Romanoff could have had. And while serving that function so well, and yet also being able to set things up for other characters and allow other characters a chance to connect with an audience or give us the opportunity to, to connect with these other characters and begin to invest in them. And just knowing that we want to invest more and more with Melina, Alexi, and Yelena, and perhaps also Antonia, we will see what happens with that character and with Taskmaster. But this movie had a lot to do, and it did it all so very well with so much care and so much uh, outstanding craftsmanship that went into this across really every department in the collaboration uh, with everybody coming together and making such a wonderful Black Widow movie. I love this film, seen it four times, can't wait to watch it a fifth time, which as I'm recording this is not even uh, a couple hours away for a watch party uh, that we're doing on the Patreon. So I'm looking forward to that as round five and then round six and so on for this awesome addition to the MCU, a great film that is worth the wait, but more importantly, worthy of Natasha Romanoff and the send-off she deserves for being such a great character and such a great performance, all the great performances by Scarlett Johansson in the Marvel Cinematic Universe with so much of her best work saved for this film. And that is where we will wrap up this spoiler review of Black Widow. Thank you all so much for listening to this episode of the podcast as well as other episodes of the podcast. Make sure you're following us in all the places you can at MCU Fan Show on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Make sure you're following Paul you can follow him at The Comic Binge, his YouTube channel. You can also find him on Twitter at Herman22 with two N's. And if you want to follow me on Twitter, you can do that or Instagram. It's at Mr. Sean Gerber. So for Paul, I'm Sean. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. <laughs>